This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Life Saving Systems Corporation, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated hoist and winch provider. And Hilo Vodka, simply better vodka. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help you with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They're ready to bring your agency up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is amazing! With certified and flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I'm happy to say that I get to be one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with the PPE inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used in helicopter cliff and mountain rescues. SR3 goes above and beyond the helicopter world too. They also provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com that's sr3rescueconcepts.com and follow them on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue that's sr3 underscore rescue we're also brought to you by Life Saving System Corporation they manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear from my favorite harness as a rescueman the Triton to the rescue baskets and litters, and of course, the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, welds, sews, and machines these products into existence every day and then sends them on their way to us. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com. That's lifesavingsystems.com. And follow them on Instagram at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. We're also brought to you by Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those who get rescued has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. And we are brought to you by Hilo Vodka. Hilo Vodka is a premium craft vodka made from the highest quality ingredients and six times distilled. Hilo Vodka was made to be crisp, refreshing, and unintrusive. It's exactly how vodka should be made, clean enough to drink neat and worthy to be mixed with your favorite cocktails. They make a crisp, refreshing vodka that is carefully carbon filtered for a smooth sip and no bite. Hilo Vodka is 100% American made. It is proudly veteran-owned by a former search and rescue pilot. Simply Better Vodka. Order yours today by visiting shophelovodka.com. That's shophelovodka.com. FedEx delivery is available in most states. Use the promo code CAPITALS, R-E-S-Q, 
and you get 10% off your order. Plus, if you buy three bottles or more, it's free shipping. Please remember to drink responsibly, and FAA Part 91 says eight hours, bottle the throttle. Our next guest is a very good friend of mine who I have taken some great advice from. He comes on to us, he tells us a lot about the civilian side and how he got into the search and rescue, and like even how he became a pilot, plus everything that's happened to him in his career. It's incredible. So without further ado, please welcome my friend, Mr. Chris Galeen. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today, sitting across from me, one of my best friends, love this guy. I don't know if you're my best friend, but... I'm gonna play as my. I'm on the list. I'm on the list. Definitely, definitely. You're at my wedding, so I got. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Chris Galeen. Thank you for having me, dude. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Um, Dude, we we go back. We go back a little while now, actually. I was thinking about that on the way over here, and what what year did you guys start in the Gulf of Mexico? It's 2010. Okay, so then I'm thinking we. I got the SAR program. I think I got checked out in the 139 in 2010. Okay. So um, I was <laughs> I was stuck in a helicopter, uh, stuck in a training department, uh, <laughs> and they gave me as a as a like a uh, uh, I don't know a bonus or whatever because you didn't get much while you were there. I flew a koala, which was a cool helicopter to fly, but I never got to like graduate out of that. So they gave me the two, uh, 139 in 2010, and then if that's when the SAR program started, I think I moved over in 2012. Yeah. Um, because when the SAR program started, I remember thinking uh, there were qualified guys going into the program is what my uh, perception was. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I, I, I was stuck in the stuck in the 119 and I'd been passed over for a couple of different things at a couple of different times because they, they, they always said that I was too uh, good or needed in the position I was in. Uh, that happened. I got passed over for a 109 job for Shell, which paid better. Uh, the director of operations actually came to my defense because the the director of training at the time I don't want to use names. No worries, <laughs> you don't have to use anything. Yeah, he he was like, no, 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 uh, Galeen can't be considered for this because he's too required in his job. And the DO was like, so you're because you need him, he's missing an opportunity. And Paul, the the director of training was like, uh, yeah, but we'll make it up to him in another way. And the DO was like, well, what other way? So anyway, some horse trade, and I didn't get the position, but they gave me something again, probably what wound up being the 139, which is like a token thing, right? So then when the SAR program came out, I was like, I knew I wanted to get into the SAR program, right? But I figured it was gonna be a long road. So like uh, opening had come up, and it's and I put my name in for it, and the chief pilot at the time said the same thing. He's like, "You're too necessary in the position you're in." And I said, "Well, 
I'm hearing this from you for the first time, but I've heard it from your predecessor and the previous director of training and the you know previous DO and blah blah blah. So I said, put my like um, credentials or whatever against whoever is applying for the position. I said, and if somebody more qualified than me gets the job, he get they get the job. I said, but if I'm more qualified, I understand you can't um, to to necessary my job. You can't replace me immediately, so put a placeholder in. And I said, but make no mistake, if I'm the most qualified guy and you don't offer me the job, you're going to have to be looking for that SAR pilot and a koala check amaran <laughs> or whatever it was. You know what I said? That is a you problem, not a me problem. And it shouldn't be that difficult to replace me. Like I've said, there's a lot. Like, I don't make good decisions. <laughs> like you look, have one look at me and I'm like, you can tell I should not be left unsupervised, right? So uh, anyway, the, the, the... That's the good stories that we have. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Um, then anyway. my, my wife would approve of every one of them too, by the way. Just most of them, most, most of them. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I had to like argue my way into the SAR program and it turned out I was the most qualified and I told, I, to, I was trying to be understanding with them. I said, look, put a placeholder in. I said, but don't think I'm going to get comfortable in this position. I said, and when it comes time for me to swap seats, when you find my replacement, and we don't know why it's that difficult to do that, but when you do, I'm going into the SAR program. And then, and I remember sitting with you in the back of the 139 in Lake Charles on the ramp. Like you guys were stuck there for something. I can't remember what it was. I was unsurprisingly uh, doing some training in a koala. So I came in, shut down, and I remember talking to you, Eben, and it might have been, um, shit, uh, John uh, Inman. Inman. Yeah. Inman or Pat Barbara. It was either Inman or Barbara, but I, I think it was Inman. Anyway, um, and I remember talking with you like about getting into the star program and i was like kind of had the same thing i've said to you a whole like a bunch i'm like i'm super interested in getting to this program but you know i i wanted to make sure that i uh didn't freak anybody out like i didn't scare anybody i was like i'm just and i'm not being humble i'm like i just want to i don't want to be somebody in the front that the guys in the back are like oh shit like galeen's on tonight like everyone like you know, it's got to be on, on, on got to be on alert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how you just yeah. said you're, you don't want to be humble about it. Yeah. That's... No, no. But no, I, I didn't. I, I mean, I, I'm not saying it to be humble. But like I'm, I was, le- um, was and am legitimate. Uh, I was like, I wanted to, I wanted to, if I wasn't good enough, yeah. I got thick skin. I'll like, I'll bow out. Like I, I was thinking to myself about what high uh, caliber pilots were in the program um but anyway as it turns out um uh i i don't always scare everybody in the back no no <laughs> yeah, yeah no you don't yeah uh so, <laughs> so, so yeah so so That's when we first we met, met was t- uh, 2012 yeah when, and then on the ramp on the Cut, ramp in yeah. lake charles would yeah. be probably the first uh for maybe a year before that i don't remember when i joined yeah. the sar program but somewhere between 2010 i'm sure because yeah. by 2012 i was definitely in the sar program yeah. so yeah, Coming somewhere in, around that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where we kind of we yeah, started hanging out, really exactly. hanging it off. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so then before we go too far, please uh, introduce yourself to everybody else out there. A little bit of background, where you're from, how you got to be a pilot. 
Cause, okay. Because uh, I'm kind of curious myself. Yeah. Even though I already know this, I'd like to hear it again. I don't know if you know all of it, but I, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I grew up in a small town in New Jersey called Toto in New Jersey. Um, my what, what exit? You know, I, you know, this is embarrassing that I've been out of state for so long. I don't remember which it would be. And I want to say if it's on the parkway, it's 17C or something like that. Or that's the turnpike. That's the turnpike. And the parkway is 150-something. But anyway. So for everybody uh, else that doesn't understand New Jersey, yeah, yeah. there's two main roads that drive north and south in New Jersey. The turnpike and the parkway. And you live off one of those exits in that state. Yeah, yeah, everybody lives off one of those exits. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when yeah. you started, oh, yeah. from Jersey. Oh, oh what, exit? what exit? Yeah, and I'm embarrassed to say <laughs> I don't remember what exit it was. Um, but it's to- total in New Jersey, small oh. town in New Jersey. And um, this will come in a little bit, I guess, uh, my background for how I got into flying. I, I used to carry a notebook with me. I still kind of do almost always have a little notepad with me. Now you got your phone, so you can always take notes. But I was making a list of things I wanted or needed. Uh, and uh, on that list was I needed a cordless screwdriver. Um, I needed a tape measure. And I'm pretty sure a helicopter flew past because I put down on the list, learn to fly helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the cordless screwdriver and I got the tape measure. And then I was like, I got down to learn to fly helicopters. So... <laughs> I started looking into it, right? So um, that, and and part of it was too, when I was a kid in Totoa, I had a newspaper route and I remember on that route, there was some guy in his backyard building an airplane in his shed. And for whatever reason, that just made a connection of like something you can do. Like you just take the step, figure out the steps to do it and you can do it more or less, you know? so then um, I started, you know, and that list was, uh, it was a lot, it was a long time ago. So uh, I love the list. I started looking, well, it's funny. Some people are like, they, like my God, I got a friend named Jens. Like he eats, sleeps and shits aviation. He knows, he was a uh, Airbus engineer or something like that okay so when a plane goes by he knows the engines in it and the thrust and all that sort of stuff like he knows yeah. about almost everything that goes I'm past geeking them, out, right? man. he's geeking out exactly <laughs> anyway awesome. yeah, yeah so he like has all he's always wanted to be a pilot you know and i'm i always i got another good friend of mine chris Diego. did you know chris i did not i don't know if he was that ever in 2010 but uh super good guy and anyway he wanted to learn he wanted to learn how to fly because he wanted to get to the top of a mountain and he thought it would take less effort to <laughs> learn to fly helicopters <laughs> and take a helicopter up there than i get <laughs> So I like everybody's reason for getting into aviation is a little bit different. So yeah, yeah so mine was, mine was on a list. Yeah, on a list. so and I also always thought to myself about flying when it came down to the things on the list that I, I got down to. I was like, that's gotta be a pretty good job because I always I was under the misimpression that you used your brain a lot as a pilot. So I kept thinking like everybody always said like as a pilot you have to. For all you young kids out there, you have to be yeah, super, yeah, you gotta be smart. You gotta know what you're doing. In a diff, yeah, in 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 not in the way you think though. Like it's everyone thinks pilots are good at math. I can assure you, pilots can't add. So. Um, <laughs> That's not true that you have to be good at math at all. You know? So uh, anyway, that but that's what you're I thought. I thought you're flying 
at this speed with this headwind, this fuel burn. As at this point, it's it's two <laughs> miles a minute. It's like it's not it's not hard, you know. It's not difficult math. Sometimes, uh, like, and I do think God in bless num- the new computers that are in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just need to ha- know how to finger the buttons, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so um, the and that gets you through a lot of things in life. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, uh, but you. I thought it was the perfect uh, like cross between sitting in an office using your head and then outside, you know, yeah. sweating. You know, yeah. so that's the best of both worlds. Yeah. Like you're outside sweating and you're not really using your brain. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, but then you get to have fun with it, and this is what I thought of for the SAR program. Yeah. I thought uh, in. Tw- what I yeah, what I left out of the story before was I thought I was gonna have to be climbing over people to get into the SAR program. Like yeah. I thought everybody wanted to do it because you see somebody like to pull up to a hover over the open water and kick somebody out of the back is like that's who doesn't wanna do that who doesn't wanna do that? Right. Like, exactly. that's what I say all the time. And I'm up front with the opportunity to do that. So I thought people were going to be crawling over each other. And it turned out the company I worked for, nobody wanted to do it. Now, part of the reason why nobody wanted to do it, and I understand this, I think, is because they saw it was a little bit of a shit show. You know, like it wasn't start. It was hard. It was being built. It was being built. Yeah. And so when you're building something like that, a lot of people don't know what they don't know. And they put a lot of preconceptions on things, you know, like as an example, our old director of operations, the one that came to my defense, <laughs> he, one day we were discussing getting night vision goggles, right? Yeah. And they cost, I'm going to pardon my ignorance, maybe 10 grand a, a, a pair, something Shot like that. Yeah. 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 Sounds good. Yeah. They're expensive. But 10 grand a pair. So, and we're talking about a 16 to $20 million helicopter. Right. Yep. So like that's not an unreasonable expense. Right. He wanted to know if instead of buying two pairs, we just bought one and whoever was flying the approach would use the goggles. And then if it turned out to be a left seat landing, the right seat pilot would just take the goggles and hand them to the other guy. Like that was something he considered he's something he considered like yeah. that was that was seemed reasonable to him and right? that is something that someone doesn't know or understand the they full don't know aspect. what they don't know exactly. exactly yeah you know so uh, you know like if you break that down just a little bit and you're like wow that's actually not a bad idea you're thinking outside the box at the same time that is a terrible idea <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard so, when you say there's no such thing as a stupid question right because yeah. i used to say that one of the things I always said, uh, and again, like in the self-deprecating way, but every course I ever, like ground course, I say every ground course I ever started, one of the things I got in the habit of saying was the, um, uh, the, the guy in the room is full of shit. Feel free to question anything that I say. If something I say doesn't ring true to you, let me know. Yeah. Because I'm not here to give you, I'm not here to, to bullshit you. If right, I'm, right, I'm right. here to pass on the information that I have yep. um, and things in the way I understand them. So if I say something and it doesn't sound right to you, question me on it. I'm yeah. open to any of that stuff, right? Yep. And it doesn't matter who you are or what experience you bring to the table, every voice is, is valid. And so one of, but people don't often like to, to speak up. So I also always offer that anything, if you stop me on a break and ask me something, 
when I get back in the class, the first thing I'm going to do is bring up the question you asked. I said, so you can ask it in class or on a break, whatever you're more comfortable with, but I'm going to bring it up in front of the class either way. Yep. So as, as you like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also used to Which say, is good practice, by the way, because you don't know if somebody else has that same question this is what in I a said. different way. This is exactly oh, what I said. Sorry, I took, no, 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 I took no, the no, thunder right no, out of everybody. No, no, no. There's plenty of thunder. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. <laughs> but great minds think alike. Because this, this is what I said was, whatever you're thinking, someone else in the room is probably thinking. And if, someone, if you're thinking something that no one else in the room is thinking, it's probably a good question. So one of the things I learned as an instructor was even through my own experiences, I'm the average pilot in, any, in everything, right? By the way, he's being very humble with that because no. Chris is going to be – Chris is one of the best pilots I've flown with. And that's not to bullshit you. <laughs> Okay, I, I truly mean that. Like, I'll circle back to that, or actually, I'll address that now. I'll address that now. That was one of the things that I thought about joining the star program was you guys in the back are going to be like in the best possible way, good critics of the guys up front because you're not self-loading baggage. Am I not? Say again? Am I not? Am I not a good critic? No, no, right? you guys that, are. I, okay, I, just I, checking. No, but no. I was, what I was concerned, I was concerned about that. Of yeah. like, you know, I say concerned. I knew that if I wasn't good enough, you guys would tell me, like, mm -hmm. and you would have a, a strong opinion because you fly with a lot of different guys, so you know a good pilot from a bad pilot, blah blah blah. Um, but uh, and I don't know why I'm saying that, but because uh, <laughs> uh, I think you're a good pilot, and I appreciate that. I do, I do appreciate that. But for whatever reason, I thought I thought at the time that like you guys are gonna, you can't bullshit past you guys. Like, right. You you, I somebody. It took me a long time to figure this stuff out, but somebody had one, somebody, you know, the phrase, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. really know what that meant. And then when I did know what it meant, because I'm a bullshitter, I was like, oh, that's why you can't run lines of bullshit past me, because I'm a bullshitter, right? <laughs> so for you guys in the back, I was like, they'll know, right, not right yeah. away, but you'll know a good oh, yeah. from bad. And I don't want to be a bad pilot for you guys. So I was like, that. I thought that was, uh, anyway, I, I think you, I have a high opinion of you guys in the back. So for you to say I'm a good pilot, I, I very yeah. much appreciate that. Hey, no problem. Yeah. And I will tell you, like, just to <laughs> yeah. go on record and boost your ego just a little bit more, there are times we've been like, you know who we need flying right now? His Chris Galeen. Just put him in the front, him and JJ or Eugene or... Piper. Yeah, yeah Piper. Pete, Peter. Yeah, 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 yeah oh, exactly. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Noah on occasion. Noah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Noah, yeah, I yeah. love you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I would take Noah. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Noah, I think, no. as I've written uh, or spoken recommendations about him, I say he's an asset in and out of the cockpit. Yeah. Noah's an awesome guy. Yeah. Totally. Noah and I got crazy history together, too, which we won't go into. But uh, yeah, yeah. <coughs> you know, we're talking about how I got started flying, I guess. Yeah. Uh, diverted. That's all right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, we'll get back on track. So you got flying, you made a list. <laughs> Boom, there you are. Now you're in flight school. You get through flight school. and Yeah, so going to flight school, this was another thing. I was like, you go to flight school, you're a one-trick pony. Like, when you get done with flight school, if you can't find a job, like, you're not qualified to do anything else. You're not qualified to fuel a helicopter. Like, you, you <laughs> just spent the equivalent of a four-year college degree and maybe not so anymore. I don't know. I mean, everything's – everything, inflation's kind of crazy. Yeah. But, like, I was looking at I could either do a four-year degree. Yeah. Or I could 
learn to fly helicopters. And again, I decided I'm going to learn to fly helicopters. Um, and then, um, yeah, I worked at uh, a really cool flight school in, in uh, Titusville, Florida. And then uh, I tried to get on. I wanted to work at Air Helicopters is what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, I had a guy... Rick Holbrook, who was an instructor at the flight school I was at, uh, he gave me two pieces of advice uh, that I appreciated. Um, one was uh, get as much nighttime as you can before you leave flight oh. instruction because you're never going to get nighttime again. Nice. Uh, and you need 100 hours a night, I think it is, for an ATP. Okay. So, like, that'll be the thing that holds you up. It wasn't the thing that held me up because I got the 100 hours a night as he suggested I do. And he said, keep your resume short, you know, like don't have a lot of names on your resume because he already, I think, felt like he had too many on his resume at the, at the time. like job resume or yeah, like, like companies? Pilots are, pilots are gypsies, yeah. right? We're yeah, pretty yeah. much a bunch of Just horses. So go he was like, you don't want to have, you know, five names in two years. On yeah. Your, yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah. Um, he worked at ERA in Alaska and then ERA at the time was a diverse company. Like, they didn't have a SAR program or anything, but they had operations in Alaska. They did um, firefighting in Nevada. And uh, anyway, by the time I got to apply for them was for a seasonal tour position I didn't get it um, so I waited another year to apply uh, era had sold at the time to Secor Secor yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, they uh, uh, I got on with era at that time through uh, the company Texair so okay. that's who they merged merged with uh, oh yeah, yeah, era. yeah I just contacted they said they weren't hiring and then a buddy of mine at Texair was like yeah we're actually definitely hiring and a buddy of mine at the time that was flying tours in Alaska got it's this is the thing like we we're saying about the do like people don't know what they don't know um, they the Alaska guys uh, friend of mine at the time that did get the tour job the year before was at the end of the tour jobs they would offer some guys Gulf of Mexico gigs yeah right? and so they check you out as a co-pilot in the 412 so he is getting to go through the 4, 412 course era is not hiring or sorry in the middle at the end of the course they lay him off um, because when they mer the companies merged, they told them that they have too many, they had redundancies in positions or whatever, right? So the first thing those managers did was fire the pilots. So then the managers got back to Texair and they said, uh, okay, we, we re reduced the headcount or whatever by however many were in that class. And they're like, you did what? Like, well, you said we had, f you know, re four redundant positions or six or whatever it was, so we got rid of the pilots. Like, no, no, we are short pilots. We are redundant mid-level managers, and I think you've just made our decision for us. So they basically cleaned ERA out. <laughs> and then a bunch of Tex Air guys took over. Probably wasn't the greatest thing for ERA, but um, Tex Air, my buddy that was at Tex Air at the time, a guy named Clay, he said, no, we're hiring. So I hired on through them knowing it was the same company you nice. know nice. Texair I yeah Texair was I don't think I would have applied to Texair had I they had not merged yeah I got you I got <laughs> yeah. you um, but anyway so that's how I got into to, to the Gulf of Mexico and then uh, yeah the, 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 the SAR program so so the, before you get to the SAR program I, I, 
I want you to tell a story. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, you had to get kind of. Yeah. I, I'm gonna call it rescued, but you really didn't have to get rescued. I didn't. I did. Was, well, I did. I got was, picked up. You got picked up. You got yeah, picked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. But this yeah. is there. There's a reason I'm, I want to bring this up is because, um, you know, spoiler alert: we had an accident. Or Chris, Chris had. I don't know if it was not an it. accident. It was not an accident. It was nope. a. We had an occurrence. We had an occurrence. There we go. Great. Ah, oh, I like that. That's a good word. Yeah. We had an occurrence. Yeah. But there's a lot of great learning uh, lessons out of that that yeah. I took personally from okay. listening to you, um, yeah. including the aftermath and what you had to do. Yeah, that's a big thing. It is a big thing. So yeah. if you don't mind, just kind of give us a little rundown about some of that and then... You know, you just okay, so, what you want. so there I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite kind of beginnings. I love it. <laughs> You're gonna edit in some yeah. ominous music. Whatever. So when I interviewed for Era and I was offered the position, uh, the text air, um, the the uh, they asked if I had any questions, you know, after whatever the standard interview stuff there was and i said yeah i said can i never fly the ec120 and they were like yeah and they looked at my resume and like i said because i had spent an extra year in flight training like i had to, to get into the gulf of mexico at the time you needed a thousand hours or something like that and i probably had 2000 or 2500 so at the time it was like a stronger resume they were like yeah. oh yeah you know with your and it's not a strong resume <laughs> uh they were like yeah you shouldn't you know you shouldn't have to fly the 120 you're going to start in the 206 and i was like yeah and i never wanted to fly the ec120 because i just knew i don't know how somebody had told me at some point that it was a very underpowered helicopter so i just knew in the gulf of mexico where it's hot and you're going to be heavy taken off offshore like it can be in the summer it's going to be a lot of work and i was like i, I don't want to spend my whole day fighting like i i but i was told the 120 was an underpowered helicopter so they said yeah should never have to fly it fast forward now i'm working at error and they're like hey uh, you're gonna start flying ac 120 so i was like <laughs> fuckers right like i, I that's the, the one thing i said i didn't want to do so uh but you do what the company tells you to do right it's what the company needs so yep. I, I i at the time they did the ground training through cts so okay. no ground just through cts I did CTS is uh, computer training systems. It's, okay. So under Part 135, you have like you got approved training programs, and if you have like CTS is a training provider for a lot of different subjects, and for a lot of subjects they are really good. Uh, for aircraft subjects, they do tend to be actually really good, but not for your initial entrance to an aircraft. It yeah. relies too much on you, like knowing a little bit yeah and there's of, no interaction that sort of stuff you yeah. know so anyway so i get checked out in the ec 120 uh and then they put me right back in the 206 so and this was not an uncommon thing to do where a company need puts you wherever you're going to put you right and i was happy to get back into the 206 i was like i i like flying the little 206 like it was, yeah. it was okay it's a predictable helicopter so then a month or two later, they put me in the EC-120 and uh, the first day I show up, this is where I met, this is uh, not a segue, but this is where I met JJ. Oh, nice. Very first day I meet JJ, Jason Johnson, right? So yeah. I work with him now. Don't have enough good things to say about the guy. Love so, JJ. Love me some JJ. So I get... I fly into the, I land, yeah, I land in the Gulf of Mexico. I had a piece of shit Gulf car, airport car, and uh, I, 
you could always you could look ahead at your schedule and find out where you were going to be. And so when I looked ahead at the schedule, my the helicopter I usually flew was at a different base. Uh, my name was in another base. It was like a little bit screwy. And anyway, I land in Houston. I go down to. Uh, oh, I land in Houston. I thought I was going to Galveston. Chief pilot's like, "Do you know where you're going?" I'm like, "No, I, I thought I was going to Galveston." No, no, your contract's in Fushan. I was like, "Fushan," and it's like, "That's a drive." Yeah, it's like five hours. It's it's sorry, it's a uh, five or something in the afternoon. And yeah. anyway, now I got to drive to Fushan. I've never been to Fushan. The chief pilot or whatever he was, this guy named Errol Bowden, he he gives me these directions, and he. He gives me shitty directions. <laughs> he says, if you get to a bridge, if you cross the bridge, you've gone too far. And in a philosophical way, he's right. Because when you cross the bridge, you get very close to Fushan. And you yeah. don't want to ever really get that close right. to Fushan. Right? Right. So anyway, and I've got this shitty little E-Trex GPS. <laughs> it's like a hunting GPS, but it was like whatever. And so it didn't do roads. But I could see like I need to get over in that general direction so i finally get onto the base in fushan and it's after hours and i'm walking around and i see a guy on the steps and i'm like hey man i said i'm sorry it's my first day here i said do you know where the pilot uh trailers are he goes man i'm from alaska he goes i don't know i don't know shit about this place let's go figure this out and i was like okay cool i like this guy (laughs) (laughs) so that's jj and we figure it out. The The base lead is giving me a bunch of grief. He's like, you're not, you know, this is after hours, blah, blah, blah. You're not supposed to be here. I'm like, buddy, I wasn't planning on having this conversation with anybody tonight. I'm like, I thought my job was in Galveston. When I landed in Houston, I would have been there in an hour, no duty right. time issues, blah, blah, blah. Right. And this guy was a talker, not a listener. So he's just like, you're supposed to be here, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, I understand that. Like, trust me. I'm the one that just drove from Houston. I'm yeah. not, you know, if either of us are is upset, like more upset, trust me, it's me. I'm like, <laughs> this is, anyway, so the helicopter uh, is grounded for some AD, some paperwork thing, somebody, you know, whatever, some, some yeah. glitch. So my opposite, because I got there so late, I didn't get to see him. He left me a bunch of... Um, a couple of index cards with like notes of what happened. So in this particular helicopter, it's an underpowered helicopter, as I said. Yep. There's a sen- there's two screens in the in the middle that give you all of your engine parameters. It's called your vehicle engine monitoring display or something like that. Your VEMD, and it gives you all of your again your engine instruments and then the the power you're pulling and all this sort of stuff. So he had that indication system, the VMD, fail on him on a takeoff offshore. He over-torqued the helicopter, which okay. just simply means he he pulled too much uh, engine power. Yep. Like the engine, it, it's uh, it's more than the transmission can can take, right? So he he pulled into the transient or whatever by like two percent or three percent or something like that. It it, it wasn't a, a large exceedance at all. Um, but he said, then we're also having uh, subsequent chip lights, and I can't remember if he said engine chips or transmission chip or whatever. What is a chip? And um, so, cool. So okay. a, a chip light is going to be, basically, it's something that if you have um, metal shavings coming off of the gearbox or 
uh, something to that effect and it goes around into a magnet that is sitting on the inside like a, a cannon plug per se or you know it's a spot inside that section and that magnet will attract that little piece of metal when that metal gets to it you get a light in the cockpit yeah it bridges that, the contact you yeah, get a light so, right so it's an indication basically holy cow it could be falling apart and yet it could be just a little it could also just be nothing it's yeah so, so like in the 206 as an example um yeah. i used to have you had engine chip lights all the time it was like uh you know i was i this will come up in a little bit a little bit but I had engine chip lights before, so I was like, oh, it's not that big. It's yeah. not necessarily that big right. of a deal, right? Well, so, I, I remember, you know, we have them in the 139 quite often. You just hit the burn switch. and Yeah, and, and know, ideally it, yeah. it burns it. If it's, yeah. a, if it's a small particle yeah. of metal, it, yeah. it uh, gives it a l- little more electric current. That blows the fuse as it, yep. as it is. And then the light goes out and, you know, you're, you just, go. you're good to go. Yeah. It's, in, it's indicative that it was not a major problem. Correct. And it, that's the most common occurrence of these that's why you have a fuzz burner what yeah. is called a fuzz burner on the helicopter because generally it's not that big of a deal so right. um the helicopter's grounded for a day and then the next day i go and fly and i this helicopter the ec120 the rotor system spins in what i would refer to as the wrong direction meaning <laughs> that the aerodynamics of a helicopter are such that um one of the hardest things to do in a helicopter is to hover it just keep it in one place, right? Yep. So the helicopter is referred to as dynamically unstable. Like it doesn't, it it, it it's a, goes to a state of chaos. Right, yeah. <laughs> so you have to keep all the forces in balance, right? So it's basically standing on a basketball. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good balance. Way to, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. when when you hover a helicopter, the main rotor spins in one direction. And let's just say you're looking forward and the rotor spins from uh, left to right. When it does that, the fuselage of the helicopter, the, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. The fuselage of the helicopter wants to spin in the other direction, yeah. right? So uh, when you, the, the tail rotor is positioned so that that counteracts the, uh, the, no, the, rotate, the potential rotation of the fuselage instead of the, the, the main rotor. So if the blades spin in one direction, the, the pedals for the tail rotor uh, Go when you pick up a helicopter in order to keep it in one position. In most helicopters, <laughs> in the helicopter, I have twenty five hundred hours or three thousand hours like of time. That when you when you pull a helicopter up off the ground with a collective, you apply left pedal. So um, with now this EC one twenty, it's the opposite. When you pick up when you raise the collective, it's now the, the right rotor pedal. spins in the other direction. You have to put in the opposite pedal, so it's right pedal. Even though that's wrong, it actually is a much more natural way to fly the helicopter. And if you can't see me, th- this what it it'll come to when you raise the helicopter with a collective in your left hand. If you have to apply left pedal when you do that, you stretch out. Right? Oh yeah. So oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So not a you, pilot. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you so the way I think of it is in. The EC-120 and a lot of Eurocopter helicopters, you, uh, when you raise the collective, you put in right pedal, which by default in the helicopter, the other pedal comes back. So yeah. they are, they react off of each other. Like you put one pedal forward, the other pedal comes back. Yep. Right? So um, now with the collective in your left hand, as you raise it, because your left pedal comes back, your foot is actually attached to the collective. 
So if you consider it like a oh, rope yeah. attached, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a more uh, natural mechanical. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so. 2,000, 2,500 hours, whatever it is, in a conventional rotor system. Yep. And now we're talking my first five in, or seven, <laughs> as it was by the end of the day, seven hours in a helicopter that the flight controls are backwards. Like they operate yeah. backwards, you know? So anyway, it takes people a little while to figure that out. And yeah. now I trained in it, yep. had two months off, and now I'm flying it again. So, and at that time I had five, three to five hours in the helicopter. Like it wasn't a long there wasn't a lot of flight time in the helicopter so and over two months i was not johnny on the spot in that helicopter right so <laughs> um i'm flying it on a brand new contract out of fushan and i land on a rig south tim 58 or something like that i forget they all look the same to me so yeah yeah so um I land and the guys on the deck are like, hey, have you ever been to this platform before? And I said, nope, first time. He goes, okay, we need to give you a uh, a briefing or whatever. Like, so uh, I'm like, okay, cool. And he goes, but the the lead or whatever the guy's name is, uh, whatever his title is, he's on the plus 10 tied up to some amberjack. So he'll be with you when he's done with that. And I was like, are you telling me that the lead pilot is too busy fishing to give me a safety briefing and he was like uh you know when you put it that way and i was like i'm gonna like this contract because that's all i want to do right i don't want to say i'm getting safety briefings i want to fish so i go downstairs i see him he's got a bunch of amberjack bleeding out right because you gotta bleed him and uh he uh he gives me a safety briefing and he basically says uh yeah i got nothing else for you i said uh, there's one guy who needs to get back to the beach you know take him in so I was like, okay, cool. You know, pretty easy contract. So I'm flying back to Fushan. And uh, one of the things they have at Fushan is when you're 10 miles out, you're supposed to be down to 500 feet. So, and uh, I'm 15 miles, as has happened, I'm 14 miles out. 14 miles out and I'm down to 500 feet and I get a red light in the cockpit and a gong, right? And so... It goes gong and a light in the cockpit. I always say you lose a day, you know, like your heart is like, Fuh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I lose a day and I look up and I'm like, okay. And the red light says engine P. Now I am again, am not very familiar with how this helicopter works. So I looked at it, I said, engine P, it's a French design. I'm like, but why would they say engine chip? with the letter P. That doesn't make any sense, you know? And I was like, engine P, and by the time that thought crossed through my head, bang, and the engine quits, right? Now, <laughs> I was like, oh shit. <laughs> um, and I dumped the collective, and I put in left pedal, because that's what you do in this helicopter, and I start to turn 90 degrees, because I'm downwind, right? Yeah. And so uh, I turn into the wind and I'm, I'm looking inside and I can't make heads or tails of any of the instruments inside the helicopter, right? So this you need a visual for, but the rotor tack on this thing is, and the rotor tack is how you read the rotor speed, right? And there's a yeah. governor. So it keeps it, it keeps it at a, a speed that for almost all helicopters, you're going to say it's 100%, right? So, and then on that tachometer, there's a second needle 
that is the uh, engine that's driving the transmission for the rotor, right? So generally those two needles are superimposed. On this helicopter, there are actually little LCD lights, little green lights. Oh, uh, LCD okay. is like, uh, it's just a little backlit light kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Anyway, it's two little ones on a maybe a two inch diameter uh, instrument. Okay. And they're, they're, they're both green and they're both the same size. So to look at it, like, it's, it's not an intuitive thing to look at. And anyway, again, I'm 500 feet downwind. Dump the collective. I look inside and I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting anything out of this. And so I turn into the wind and I, I uh, slowly start to raise the collective because I'm thinking, I don't want to be one of those guys that had like a tachometer failure and um, landed on the water with the engine running. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that happens, right? And I, I can't fault people necessarily for it because the guy that does that isn't trying to do that you know like right, right. he's doing his best yeah he's going through the standard checks that are the training or he training. misinterprets stuff it's oh, easy yeah. you know it's yeah. easy to do that and like a like tachometer failure will give you a low rotor horn like you're like you're, you're losing rotor and yeah. again if you dump the collective which is what you're supposed to do for people who don't know what it means that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> and uh at that point your all your engine instruments drop off because you just lowered the engine demand from yeah. the helicopter yeah. so it can look like you have an engine failure so it's easy to misinterpret this stuff so anyway i'm now faced with like hey maybe i don't want to land on the water with the engine running so before i blow the floats i raise the collective to see if i could fly out of it and again, I can't make heads or tails of the instruments inside, so I'm raising the collective to try and fly out of it, and I get the low rotor horn. So I, now I am convinced that I've had an engine failure, <laughs> and I blow the floats. And that's the second bang that occurs, right? So there's uh, uh, nitrogen bottles. that yep. you, In this helicopter, there's a grip on the front of the cycle. It looks like a, 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 a brake lever from, from like a BMX bike. Yeah. And you pull it, and the floats pop. So... Floats pop, and I am now convinced that I have an engine failure, so I put out a mayday call. Uh, one of the things I learned in primary flight training was from a guy named Richard Manley, who uh, looks like Mr. Bean, uh, if you know who Mr. Bean is. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah. So he looks <laughs> remarkably like Mr. Bean. So good guy, British guy also, and he was in one of the practice areas uh, and he had an engine failure. This was back in flight school, right? In yeah. 2000 or 2001, whatever it was. And he has an engine failure and he puts out a mayday call, something like, oh, mayday, 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 uh, 315 has had an engine failure in area two. And everyone gets on the radio is like, Richard! <laughs> All right, Richard, did you have an engine failure? He's like, yep, I did. Uh, we're safely on the ground here on, uh, you know, whatever, in whatever practice area they were. So the next, like, instructor meeting, Monday morning meetings, he talked about it. And what he said was not enough people practice mayday calls. And so I always incorporated that. And once I learned that, yeah. I, lear I learned that, I'm like, I'm going to pass this on because it's true. People don't practice yeah. mayday calls. No. So I got in my thing because I'm a parrot. I repeat myself a lot. The thing I had said at the time was, let's play it out. Like, 
let's go for a scenario here. You're flying along, perfectly good helicopter, engine fails, and you are a really good pilot, and you enter an auto rotation, you find a spot, you flare, you level, you cushion, you're on the ground, no damage done, nobody knows where you are. Now let's run scenario number two. <laughs> you're not Johnny on the spot. <laughs> you don't know where the collective in time. You over control, you flare too high, you level, you run out of airspeed, you crash, you can't feel your legs, you smell jet fuel, you look up, you see an alligator walking towards you and nobody knows you're there. <laughs> so like get out of Mayday call, like if yeah. you can, and most people can after you sort yourself out in the, in the descent, you get a Mayday call. And if you practice it, like everything, yep. once you practice it, it's, it's not, it, it's, it, things get easier the more you practice, right? So I got out of Mayday call, uh, Mayday, 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 uh, 8 Sierra Charlie's got an engine failure 14 miles. Now, you can get out of call like that because people know what it means anyway. Yeah. Uh, and if nobody else is talking, our radio was congested, so there are a couple of helicopters that garbled the radio and the dispatcher said uh, there's too many helicopters talk and aircraft landing say again I thought she meant me <laughs> so I get out another mayday call uh, but a mid flare at the time so one of the things with uh, <laughs> with the uh, I don't think I knew that that's yeah. hilarious <laughs> yeah no my second mayday call is mid flare and what's really cool is we have it recorded so I can try and get it for you actually uh, maybe you can play it I'll see if I can yeah. Get it. yeah you might yeah. be able to fuse that in so and we we used to play it in training uh, and I was like I don't know that you want to play that for training because what happened was as I made the second mayday call the dispatcher also didn't hear it and so somebody else i think it was um what was the dude that retired from um sar that he said he lived like he did so he lived like he could he just saved that oh, all his oh, money uh, after AI, 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 miller. AI, AI, yeah. miller, ai miller ai was was communicating with me on the radio at the time. He was flying in a 412. Oh. So he is actually who heard my Mayday call because wow. the dispatcher didn't. So I was relaying stuff to him, which is pretty cool. Like you can hear it. But as from a training standpoint, the dispatcher didn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I don't know that you want to necessarily play this for new hires. Like, yeah. do you want to have this idea that the people in the room are like, you know, looking out for you? Yeah. So and when I play it for you, you'll, you'll understand. So uh, anyway... <laughs> Uh, I relay my position and uh, they uh, they send people out looking for me. JJ hears my mayday call and he is he's flying a koala for whatever the company was and he told the guy he goes Air Helicopters is buying this helicopter back and um, we're gonna go look for this guy. I always choke up with this. Um, so he was he said he's like we're um, I'm, I'm buying the helicopter back. We're gonna go look for this guy. No, he didn't know that I was safely upright. So, but I always thought like that's that's admirable, you know. Yeah. So um, I was like, he's the first guy that made my Christmas card list that day. <laughs> so <laughs> what a nice guy. Way to go, yeah, JJ. I've always thought the world of JJ ever since that like yeah. event, right? So uh, anyway. Uh, I'm floating on the water and I got a guy sitting next to me who was just like fucking pie-eyed. Like, what the fuck just happened, <laughs> right? And so he's your typical offshore worker. No disrespect, but as I said uh, un under, uh, I think it was uh, while I was under deposition for this uh, incident, uh, he was not 
what I refer to as an athlete. <laughs> so when we're on the water floating, he turns and looks at me and he's like, you know, what happened? Now, you know this about me. I'm a bit of a wise ass, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, am, I instinctively wanted to say, well, we just had an engine failure and this is the fourth one that's happened and they do it different every time. <laughs> But my father was a lawyer, and I thought to myself, I will regret saying that if I say it. So I said, uh, you know, we just had an engine failure. I said I was communicating with another helicopter. I said, what's going to happen? Is it going to overfly the top of us? But they don't have a hoist or anything, so they're not going to be able to do us any good. They're just going to fly over the top of us, and then I'm not sure where it comes next, right? So... Um, I instructed him to uh, now, sorry, I skipped the part. Oh, I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. I, I'm floating on the water now. This is my first time landing a helicopter on the water. So <laughs> Nice landing, by the way. It was, but I don't put it down. I'm going to come back to that because yep. there's, there's uh, a lot of luck involved that day. So um, <laughs> I, I don't know how long it's going to stay upright. Right, so um, I look in the back, and at the time we used to keep a life raft under the seat in the back. So I pull it out, and I asked this guy to pull it out, and I said, "Hey, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna inflate that life raft, and I'm gonna ask you to get in it, and then I'm just gonna sit here and hold on to it, and if the helicopter rolls over, I'll jump in it, right? Yeah. So, but I want to get you in it now. So, because again, he was. Not larger an, than, not an athlete yeah. standard size in the Gulf of Mexico gotcha. but not an athlete not yeah. an athlete so he gets in it oh, sorry I was this was a day of learning you know so where you don't know what you don't know is I didn't know how to inflate the life raft I was oh. like I've never done that before so I was like we're looking at it trying to figure this out and I was like well we see a tether we pull it out and I say just hold on to that I said then throw the life raft in the water and I wasn't sure if it was water activated I said I think if it doesn't inflate that way just pull that and then he pulls it pulls a pin the thing inflates right yeah. so now I know how those things work <laughs> uh, so I tell, you know, I tell him, get in. He gets in, and he's getting a little bit, uh, he, he look, he's clearly not feeling well, you yeah. know, so he's, he's turning green. And again, he's just had a traumatic event, um, and he's now sitting in a raft, like, it's he yeah. bobbing and everything. It yeah. wasn't high seas, but it was still, like, two-foot seas or something like that. So and in you're a raft, in a raft. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, so, yeah. yeah so he's getting sick and I'm trying to keep him entertained, keep his mind off it. I start talking about food and all this sort of stuff. And anyway. I'm sure that was helping. He looked like he liked to eat, you know? So I figured that's that's a topic everybody likes, you know? So I got to try and find some common ground. So um, he, uh, uh, as it happens, a uh, uh, stayed upright the whole time and a, a Seacor vessel uh, pulled up. So we're 14 miles off the beach in Fushan. This is a shipping channel. So like there's plenty of traffic, plenty of sea traffic around. Yep. So I see a Seacor vessel. And like I said, or we discussed this, this company is now owned by Seacor. So Seacor vessel pulls up, they put a little fast rescue craft in the water. These guys pull up, they pull uh, my passenger onto that small rescue craft. 
And then I have to get into the boat and they're kind of reaching for me. And I was like, just once you guys just back up and I'll just, I'll just jump from the back to the, to the, to the boat. So I jump from the back of the boat, from the back of the helicopter into the boat. And then we, off we go. I don't remember how I got onto the ship. Like if it was a ladder or a Billy Pugh or what they did. But anyway, we find ourselves on the ship and we're downstairs. Uh, and I've never been on a workboat before. This is the Seacorp vessel Washington, uh, motor vessel Washington. And uh, uh, we, uh, I'm on the phone with the captain of the ship. And so uh when I, uh, I'm talking to him, it's kind of breaking up and everything. I said, Hey, I don't know protocol. Like, am I allowed on the bridge? Like, can I just come up and talk to you? This might be a little bit easier. He goes, Oh yeah, yeah. Why am I doing this? Just come up to the bridge. So I go up to the bridge and everybody that was on the little fast rescue craft, everybody on the bridge is covered in tattoos. So I'm like, Hey, this is, this is my people, right? Hey, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So now we're just like talking about tattoos and this sort of stuff. And, and, uh, uh, uh I'm not really shitted up. Like to me, everything worked out and this is one of my features is I don't I'm not easily alarmed so you find this sort of stuff out uh like everybody nobody knows how they're going to react in certain situations you yeah. know so uh anyway uh, I kind of do so because uh, I'm consistent with a couple I've not had a great like for a very long time I've had uh more engine failures than you should have had I've had uh stuck collective I've had um uh, no tail rotor problems, but like I've had a lot of hiccups in helicopters, right. like for a while, like there's service bulletins and ADs and shit that have got my name on them. You nice. know? Not really, but that's how yeah. they all come from. Right. Yep. So, uh, the, um, and I don't know why, why, what I, why I was saying that, uh, but anyway, we're on the ship. I'm not shit it up. I'm like, this is cool. Like now, this is a new experience for me. Like I've never been on a ship yeah. before. I'm like, I'm getting to see all this sort of stuff. Can I drive? No, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking all about that stuff, and they're like, they're talking about how it's uh, like th there's a there's a chart out, um, and there's a sextant on the chart, and okay. I was like, whoa, I'm like. You guys still use sextants? And they're like, no, 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 that's, I, like, I don't know. They're like, full disclosure, we don't know why that's there. All this shit is GPS uh, held and stuff, you know, yeah. and they had these little bow thrusters and all this sort of stuff so they can hold position and all this stuff. So I'm talking to them, and now they're like, well, what do we, what happened? I'm like, I don't know what happens now, right? But I asked them, I was like, so you're C Corps, right? Like, did you get a call from the company that this happened? Like, no, we were just on our way in and we saw an orange helicopter floating and so one <laughs> bit of advice to the kids out there if yeah. you're gonna ditch a helicopter make it a bright orange helicopter yeah right <laughs> yeah so um i they secord didn't call them they just saw us came over picked us up and now uh the phone calls are coming in like with secord with a chief pilot and all that sort of stuff yeah. And so uh, what they decided to do was they wanted to uh, tie off to that helicopter and uh, bring it in to the beach somewhere. Uh, so the captain of the ship, again, I don't know his name, but he uh, was like, hey, because hey, I was talking with, with the, the chief pilot at the time. He's like, see if he'll tie off to that helicopter. The guy's like, nope, not doing that. And he's like, okay, cool. 
Errol, the chief pilot. He's like, okay, cool, fine. He's not tying off to it. We'll call you back in a little bit. Calls me back. Says, we got another boat that's on the way. Uh, they're going to tie off to the ship. But they probably don't know as much about where to tie off a helicopter as you do because I've got a lot of experience towing helicopters at sea. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm like, they're like, well, but still, I probably would know more. But, yeah. I mean, maybe not. So yeah. um, the... Uh, they were like, we want you to get off that boat, get on the other boat, tie off to the helicopter and bring it back in. I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Because, again, I don't make good decisions. So um, the captain of the boat was like, uh, he said, give me, give me the phone. He said, hey, two things aren't happening today. Uh, he said, uh, I'm not tying off to that helicopter. And this guy isn't doing a ship-to-ship transfer. He's like, he's been through enough. He's like, so I will take him to any platform any rig in the gulf of mexico i'll take them to any port of your choosing he goes but those two things are not happening so you tell you tell yeah so i was like you just made my christmas card list (laughs) (laughs) two in one day two boom what a day you know like i don't know if you know this about me my christmas card list is short so (laughs) so uh so anyway uh uh i was like fuck dude that's awesome you know like i appreciate that like uh uh anyway so I'm now on the bridge of the ship, and they still don't know where I'm going, but I'm playing with all the stuff on the bridge, asking these questions, just tooling around, and uh, the other ship shows up, and they start backing up the helicopter, and the captain is like, hey, uh, you may want to see this, your helicopter's only got about another 30 minutes, because he knows exactly what's going to happen, it's going to roll over, and I was like, I don't remember, I was talking with somebody about something, I'm like, oh, that helicopter? I'm like, fuck that helicopter. I'm like, the helicopter and I do not get along. I'm like, I don't give a shit about that helicopter. It's not my helicopter, right? Yeah. So they pull up, they roll it over, and... Uh, and uh, On purpose or by accident? No, by accident. Oh, they okay. just... they No, yeah, not on purpose. Not yeah, yeah. on purpose. So um, they, they, they roll it over, and then now we're heading back to Fushan. And I had a sprint at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so name job my phone uh had one mode it was paperweight mode there was no coverage in sprint right so uh we're getting paperweight mode yeah so oh, that's great we we're, get, <laughs> we're getting towards the beach and somebody else is talking on their cell phone the same guy's talking around i said hey man i said i'm sorry can i call my girlfriend i'm like because i'm not sure how she's going to be right so she's my emergency contact so the guy's like yeah here make a phone call so i call up nicole my girl then girlfriend my now wife yep mother of my child mother of my second child next day or two so yeah uh, which congratulations thank you very much (laughs) um so quinn is still a good name it's quinn still in the running it's still Still all right right. just checking if liv doesn't work out it's gonna be quinn yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) and that's on the record (laughs) it's on the record exactly yeah yeah nicole think about it (laughs) yeah just think about it (laughs) so uh uh i call her up and i said uh you know uh i said hey 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 baby how's your day going and she tells starts telling me about her day. Now she's a speech pathologist in the school system, so she's got stuff to complain about, right? So <laughs> she tells me about her day, blah blah blah, and, and uh, she says, "Well, how's your day?" And I said, "Well, baby, I said the first thing I'm going to tell you is I am perfectly okay. I'm perfectly okay." I said, "But I'm standing on the bridge of a ship, 
looking at my helicopter upside down in the water. I said, I had an engine failure and I had the ditch. I said, so, uh, but as you can see, I'm on someone else's phone. I don't know what this is costing them. So I just wanted to call you in case, you know, check to see if you emerged, you know, I didn't explain it to her. I just said, I just yeah. want to tell you about it. So I hang up and if you're paying attention, what I didn't tell her is that I landed upright and that I didn't even get my feet wet, right? Like she's picturing me fucking <laughs> upside down in the helicopter because that's what I just told her. Oh and she's th- picturing me like having a cut out of my seatbelt and gasping for air and all that shit. And I'm <laughs> on a ship playing with toys, you know? <laughs> so I get back to the beach and uh, I, uh, I call her from my phone and she's upset, you know, understandably. <laughs> oh my gosh. And she's going through, you know, now I got time to explain the story to her a little bit more. And uh, you were going back and forth about all this sort of stuff. And she's like, so she's like, uh, what went through your mind? And I was like, so when I was convinced that I had the engine failure, right? And this is a thing. It's like, you have to convince yourself that this is happening. This is a human factor thing. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, guys, you, you, you can rationalize a lot of stuff. Again, like even with the engine P, I was like trying to make that connection, right? So anyway, uh, engine P stands for engine uh, uh, pressure. It was engine oil pressure. So oh. that's there, the, the, there was, as it turns out, there was some O-ring that had like, uh, swollen or something like that and it okay. cut off oil to some you know something further downstream but that reduction in oil pressure when it gets below like 1.4 bar or something like that the engine has a switch where it shuts itself off so so it doesn't burn up it sees up and yeah yeah it's just kind part of, of the, it's part of the yeah, shutdown yeah. Pro- yeah. i think it's part of the shutdown process okay. like so that if you're i don't know i'm not an engineer but yeah, that's what i always thought it was and that's but here's the thing we didn't find out about that until that engine was on a rack after the engine failure being inspected so yeah okay um but anyway engine p is engine oil pressure lost engine pressure that's why the engine shut down and uh so she was asking me so so uh when I entered the auto rotation and I had the low rotor horn, yeah. that's when I blew my floats. And so blowing the floats, this is another thing that as, a, as pilots, I've had discussions with people at various points of like, when do you blow the floats? So some people are of the impression that you would want to blow the floats early so that the helicopter is in a stabilized position before, like on the descent yep. as opposed to... Yep when you're very busy at the end with a flare and some guys would say that's what you would do is you would wait till you're in the flare blow the floats uh in the helicopter we fly now it actually says wait till you touch down and let them self-inflate right yeah so things you don't know right yeah so uh in because i was speaking i remember talking with um I can't remember his name, but he's a kid that eats, sleeps, and shits helicopters. He, uh, David Bailey is his okay. name. Yeah, David Bailey. He worked here. I worked with him at primary flight school, worked him with at, at ERA, uh, and worked with him here. So uh, yeah. uh, a lot of respect for David Bailey. Wealth of knowledge. And again, eats, sleeps, and shits helicopters. Like He's the type of 
guy that you can at any point talk with him about anything in helicopters yeah. and he can have an intelligent conversation because he was probably researching it the night before right so <laughs> uh anyway nice. yeah so uh he had, was saying that he would blow the floats early and his, well, his logic was that if the floats don't fully inflate you know that early and i was like okay and again next level thinking type stuff mm-hmm. but made the impression upon me that i if should the need ever arise <laughs> i will blow the floats early so i during like this like event uh went from 500 feet fat dumb and happy to engine p thinking what why with a silly french why would they put engine chip (laughs) (laughs) to oh shit i'm in an uh, in an auto big bang uh low rotor horn yep now i'll pop should i shouldn't i so i pop the floats and i'm descending towards the water and i start to flare right so you descend at a certain speed you're trading airspeed which is just momentum and, and uh, potential energy with the the redu- what you're flying at altitude yeah. you're trading these energies to keep the rotor spinning and then before you touch down you have to touch down slow so you flare you pull back on the cyclic you you load the disc it keeps the, the it increases the rotor blades uh, the, the lift and then you cushion and set down and that flare cushion and set down is a delicate maneuver like it's that's Mm -hmm. where most people fuck it up and so um i now am at that point mid flare making a mayday call and which is blocked or whatever again and i look out and i think to myself oh fuck i'm too high i'm like fuck i'm gonna die like for that split second i was thinking i'm dead you know and then i because i just had a low rotor horn as well so now what i did was I started to level the helicopter with the yeah. collective bottomed out. And as I'm leveling the helicopter, I'm looking up at the blades yeah. because they were just, I just had a low rotor horn. Yeah. Some helicopters mute the low rotor horn when the collective is full down. So okay. you could have a low rotor, but you don't know it. I don't know enough about this helicopter to say that that it, it, okay. like I do or do not have a low rotor at this point, but yeah. I know I did a couple seconds ago. So <laughs> <laughs> you did it about four hundred feet. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> just just a little bit ago, I had a low rotor horn. So now I'm flaring. I'm coming off the flare. I'm going to level, and I'm looking up at the rotor blades, and I'm thinking peripherally, I'm going to look at the water. So and I'm going to wait and cushion as late as I can, watching the blades, because if the blades stall. When blades stall, they come down fast, right? And so they go either through the tail boom or through the cockpit, right? Ooh. So I'm looking at this like like waiting and holding for the pull and I'm flaring and I feel this just kind of fall off the edge and I just pull the collective and then the next thing you know, I'm just bobbing. And I was like, softest touchdown of the day so and by like water is very forgiving right and so there's all these things that people talk about landing between the flare the, the swells and all that sort of stuff yeah, and i'm like no. yeah no in order I, to land between like between swells swells are caused by wind right right so you want to land into the wind so if you're flying, if you're landing into the wind and the swells are then coming at you, if you zero it out with a swell, that means that you are now moving backwards. Right. Like you may still have yeah. indicated airspeed, but now you are physically moving backwards. That's something you haven't done before. And then right. now you're supposed to land with the engine off. Like it's, that's, that's a, that's a lofty expectation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. 
I, I had small, I had two foot C's or whatever it was. I mean, they're yeah. bumps. There's nothing, right? So that wasn't an issue for me anyway. And again, luck was with me and I landed and everything was fine. So, uh, but again, it's kind of a surprise to me that it all worked out, but I was very happy that it did. So we move on. And then I'm talking to Nicole and she was like, um, were you scared? And I was like, well, actually, now that you mention it, no, I was pissed. When the engine quit, I muttered like motherfucker or something to myself, like some something with the word fucking it for sure. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, the one question I have on the interview is, can I not fly EC-120s? Yep. <laughs> like, I never wanted to fly this helicopter. Now, the very first day I'm flying this helicopter on the line, the fucking engine quits. I'm like, you have got to be shitting me, right? Like, so... Now, uh, I'm just I'm just angry, right? Yeah. And then I then we get to the flare, yep. <laughs> and I think I'm gonna die, and I don't, and I'm like, okay, that you know everything's cool, and then we move on. And so Nicole <laughs> asks me, she's like, and I told her, I said, look, and I mean this, like, and she knows this about me. If I ever get killed in a helicopter accident, know that I was angry. Like the you, last thing, the last me. thing, like, I was pissed. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I don't get scared. I get fucking angry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not far off with you. Like with stuff that happens in the aircraft, yeah. you're like, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Italian Irish too, so I've got a bit of a temper. <laughs> and my father used to hit me, so um, it was like that. I used to say this that all the time. This is kind like, of interview. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to admit to being an alcoholic. <laughs> I was an altar boy. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, 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 yeah, whoa. Know, I've had my share of priests. <laughs> but uh, the uh, uh, so anyway, I told her, I said, just rest assured. I said, if this gives you any solace, any peace of mind, yeah. if I get killed in a helicopter, I'm going to be angry. So uh, she's like, well, what did you think of? And she was hoping for the romantic. I was thinking of you all the way in. And yeah, yeah, My yeah, last yeah. thought was you. So, Love you, honey. <laughs> so I told her the truth. <laughs> Star Wars Episode 3 was... Yeah, Star, no, Star Wars Episode 4. Which, which was Star Wars? Star Wars or what is Star Wars as a kid yeah. was Episode 4. Three, was uh, four. four, five, six. Four, yeah. five, and six. Yeah. So Episode 3 was about to come out, right? Yeah. So for me, I thought in the flare... As I was thinking I was going to die, I'm thinking, fuck, I'm going to miss episode three. <laughs> now. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you, I've told awesome. you the story, right? Yeah. Do you know why I thought episode three? No. Okay. So this is a funny thing, right? So my dad, I've got an, I've got an older brother, a younger sister, two younger sisters. My older brother were, were Irish twins. We're 11 months apart. So for July, we're the same age, right? So, and then I got a younger sister, she's 13 months younger than me, and then another, who I call my baby sister, but she's in her 40s. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my dad, he was a lawyer, hardworking guy, and he um, had four kids. He took us to the, as, and this is, this is in the 80s, right? Like yeah. Star Wars, how old are you? I don't know, 43. You're 43. Okay, yeah. so Star Wars was a big thing when you were a kid, right? Yeah. Or did, or, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Star okay. Wars is huge. So for yeah. me, I was born in 72. Like, Star Wars, I think, is 79. Like, as a seven-year-old kid, like, Star Wars was, like, 
like it was the, the biggest thing ever. The biggest thing ever, right? Yeah. So we're watching Star Wars, and uh, I look over, and my father was asleep. Okay, then you don't think anything of it. A couple months later, he dies of a heart attack. And so um, I always felt bad that he never saw Star Wars. Like, for whatever reason, that like stuck in my head because it was such a big thing to me yeah. I remember he fell asleep and I was thinking like we played Star Wars like like yeah, lightsabers yeah. or whatever and I, oh, I felt bad he, like he fell asleep during Star Wars now fast forward to me as an adult with a kid and I realized he just needed to get some fucking sleep you know like <laughs> he put the kids in front of the TV he's not trying to watch just this. watch this there wasn't YouTube there wasn't any of that stuff you know he's just trying to catch he's trying to catch a break so he doesn't care about Star Wars right but now I'm facing my own mortality and I'm thinking I think that's why I thought oh shit I'm, I'm gonna miss episode 3 was because of wow. that now, episode so but I I, I I persevered through Jar Jar Binks and 1 <laughs> saw 2 and I'm like god if I just don't see 3 now I don't even see any of the movies anymore but Nicole so this is it I'm like I, she's like what 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 went through your mind? I'm like, oh, if I get killed, I'm I'm gonna miss episode three. <laughs> and she's like, exactly. She's like, you didn't think of me? And I was like, well, who'd you think I was gonna take to the movies with me, baby? <laughs> and of she, course it was her. Of course right? it was her. Yeah, yeah. come on, she, honey. She didn't buy it. I, yeah. Again, I'm a bullshitter, but I, I I didn't sell it that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's all good. I mean, <laughs> but so lessons learned from that. Yeah, I. I tell people this all the time. A couple years later, I was involved in a deposition. I think I'm free to talk about it. So um, <clears throat> the passenger sued. Now, the passenger sued the helicopter company, right? And there's a lot of lawsuits that are going to go around. You know, uh, a yeah. helicopter is now totaled, right? right? Because that other boat rolled it over. Right. So um, <clears throat> the company appoints me a lawyer uh, the day before you you know you do prep where you, they talk about what's appropriate to say and like the conduct of like i've never been through a deposition so they give you like just general things and one of the things they tell you is if you do not know 100 percent, you need to be clear about that so like your name is christopher gata galene yeah um were you wearing white socks that day like I don't know. I don't recall. Yeah. So yeah. like that's that's yeah. the number one answer. It's like uh, by default. Like if you have any doubt, and I'm a very logical person, like there's doubt for a lot of things. Like, but you're gonna come up with in a lot of instances. I don't recall. Anyway, that sort of stuff. So now we're in the deposition, and there's the lawyers on the opposite side, and they're going through the my involvement in in the totaling of this helicopter and uh they're they pull out the flight manual in the emergency procedure section and they start reading it and they're just going to go verbatim and they said something to the effect of again it's 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 10 15 years or whatever it is from when this accident occurred uh you're flying along and the engine quit did you lower the collective to maintain rotor rpm yes did you uh adjust pedals to maintain trim yes did you uh, adjust cyclic to maintain, and again, 70-knot attitude? Yeah. Approximately. And they're going through all these steps, blah, blah, blah. Did, you know, at this altitude, did you do a cyclic flare, touchdown, blah, blah, blah. And then it goes through the emergency shutdown, and they say, did you close the throttle? And I did not close the throttle. And they said, you didn't close the throttle? And I was like, nope. And they start conferring to themselves a little bit and they said why didn't you close the throttle and i was like well the engine was already off 
and I don't know what caused the engine failure. So for me, there was no benefit in closing the throttle because I don't know if now I'm going to screw something up in the fuel control linkages or whatever. So I'm yeah. like, the engine's off. I'm going to turn the electrical system off and I'm going to preserve the scene more or less is what I was thinking. Yes. And they confirm amongst themselves. They tell me I'm free to go. And I'm thinking to myself, this is another thing is your perception is an interesting thing because mm -hmm. I'm walking out of that room like I'm ushered out. I'm thinking, did this guy just win the lottery? Like, he did he just win a lawsuit because I didn't close the throttle? Yeah. Like, I'm thinking that's crazy. Yeah. But you're taught, follow the checklist. Yes. Like, do what that says, right? And I'm thinking to myself, like, whatever. Like, it's, okay, you know, and then... But I think it's crazy. And my lawyer comes up and he said, you did an excellent job in there. And I was like, um, okay. He's like, you did a, you did an excellent job. And I was like, okay. He yeah. goes, do you know what they were going for there? I'm like, I have no idea what just happened in there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he's like, what they were going with was that you got a chip light, you panicked, you closed the throttle, and you caused your own engine failure. So exactly the thing I didn't want to do. Yeah is what they were thinking I did, right? Now, one of the things I, it never really came up in conversation and I always was embarrassed by it because of my lack of knowledge. Remember I said I couldn't make heads or tails of the, the aircraft instrument? Right. When I raised the collective to see if I could fly out of it, like that, that didn't demonstrate knowledge of the aircraft. Like, and I was thinking, even when I found out later was the engine P, like, I could have missed the engine oil altogether on the pre-flight. Like, I didn't know the helicopter. Like, for all I knew, I was flying around all day with no engine oil. Oh, right? yeah, So yeah, I'm yeah. like, I never got to see it again. So I was like, I wasn't sure if it was me. Like, you know, you have all the self-doubt, all this sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Anyway, it never came up under any official uh, conversation about me raising the collective and flying out of it. It never got brought up. So had I brought that up in the, like the NTSB or the FAA investigation or whatever, it would have been ev through that evidence they would have known the engine was off because you don't get a low rotor horn by raising the collective and it right. wouldn't be intermittent and I didn't enter the auto rotation because of the low rotor horn. I did it because of the bang and the kick and the other shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, they were like, that because I didn't close the throttle, the uh, lawsuit went away. So it was really interesting to me that now, again, how the whole story like was like an M Night Shyamalan thing for me, where it's like this guy hit the lottery. Like, wait a second, you're patting me on the back. Like, yeah. what did I miss? You know. And it turns out because I did not follow the the emergency procedure, that and that lawsuit went away. So it's a lesson of like you don't. The, the flight manual and all this sort of stuff doesn't cover every scenario. And right. you also have to think, unfortunately, in, in that we're in a litigious society. Like, your actions are going to be scrutinized. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and sometimes right or correct isn't right you know like yeah. uh so it, it's uh there was one of the lessons i learned from this and i, I like to tell people about that and i remember at the time a bunch of pilots 
in at era because again i'm brand new the day before i was persona non grata because i showed up so fucking late right and then now all, this a, guy? You know, all of a sudden yeah now all of a sudden i'm like oh you did a fucking excellent job blah 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 uh so and it was funny too the part i didn't uh say was that the, the that engine failure actually occurred on friday the 13th oh so, convenient yeah conveniently so like when the newsletter came out neil osborne was the CEO or whatever at the time, he is like he started by saying he goes now I am not normally a superstitious man but on Friday the thirteenth blah, blah blah landed without incident and all this sort of shit but anyway three years later three years yep. again nobody got hurt aircraft rolled over because the other ship tied off to it like yeah. as far as the FAA is concerned I landed on the water everything was off my passengers and I disembarked that's the end of it to, from the FAA standpoint yeah. right so yep. there was no you know again no accident but um the ship the the my lawyer afterwards like because i sent the ai flying over the top ai and i forget his name but you know who he is he's a young kid same thing he started as a fueler in fushan and then he wound up being the 225 oh uh, yeah 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 that guy you're talking yeah yeah. um he was the co-pilot in the 412 that took pictures of the helicopter upright now just like that video I showed you earlier that you didn't know existed, the lawyer didn't know those photos existed of the helicopter upright, and I was telling him about it. He did not want to know or hear about those photos. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know what other shit was going on with that, but again, you, you, you don't know what you don't know. But, wow. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but lessons learned with all that yeah. stuff, you know? So, so the uh, biggest thing that I had learned out of that with you was really the, you know, being being called on the carpet i'm going to call it you know for military wise you know you're up in front of somebody you're you're defending yourself did you follow the checklist did you do what you're supposed to do and and that's what i got out of that with you and just all of our conversations because you you have to be able to justify your actions you have to defend your absolutely and a lot of people have said that like defend like you have to look at you know worst case scenario whatever like can you defend your actions, whatever right. it is, that, whatever right. it is that you did, you know. Yeah. So, is what you did defendable, you know? Yeah. And and right. and right. sometimes the answer is no, you right. know. And sometimes, you know, the answer needs to be yes more often than not, you know. And I think if you go into things with that thought process, it helps you make good decisions, right. you know. I totally agree. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that everybody should just go start hot dogging and doing whatever because I can justify this. No, 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 no. no. There's training and there's, you know, there's there's rules set in place here's for a, a reason. Here's you, another you, story. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> About another engine failure I had. So uh, the first engine failure I had <laughs> was uh, uh, the first engine failure I had was funny. There was a guy who was Navy personnel, right? Okay. And uh, he read a, he flew in the back of a helicopter bunch, but he always wanted to fly one. He always wanted to take the flight controls, right? But he wasn't like an active back ender like you. He okay. was like Navy personnel, like he had been transported in a helicopter. Like, Got it. Right. So, so he's a passenger. Pass. He's a passenger. Yeah. He's a passenger. Yeah. yeah. So, but he really liked helicopters. So he read up on him, and he and and at the flight school I was at, the low time guys, because you're sitting around, you know, students, you do the the tours or the the yeah. intro flights or whatever. So this guy books an hour flight. Most people do thirty minutes. He booked an hour, and so he's he. Uh, takes an interest and I'm talking to him about you know stuff and he knows aerodynamics he asked me about 
settle with power or something like that. Like he, he's read up on helicopters and he asked me if I ever had to do a forced landing. And I was like, well, uh, you know, we practice for it a lot. You know, yeah. my instructor, Damien McEwen, prick, he had me do and he cut tunnels on me everywhere, you know? <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I'm like, I said, I Roll practice. Six. Don't yeah. be a prick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but like you practice them all the time, right? So I said, yeah, no, I've never had to do one. Let's go fly, right? So now we get in a helicopter. Uh, we fly around, uh, coming up on the end of the hour. We go back to the airport. And like we flew a confined area, flew them up and down the river, stuff like that. I let them yeah. take the flight controls. And uh, then uh, we get to the airport. We got an extra 10 minutes or whatever it is. I said, you want to see a precision auto rotation? I said, I can show you. I said, I can't, you know, I, I got to bring it. I got to bring the engine on. But I said, I can show you an auto rotative descent to a spot, you know. He goes, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Said, cool. Get clearance from tower to take off, and it's runway 36, and we're on a spot that's adjacent to the runway. Okay. So you, uh, when you take off, you kind of challenge a tree line to, okay. to get up to traffic pattern altitude. And as soon as I cross the tree line, the helicopter starts shaking like shit. <laughs> so I dump the collective, do a little lateral thing to the side. I flare, and I touch down right next to the runway, right? <laughs> I look at my passenger. This is the first time I've had to do this. And I was like, you okay? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, yeah. He says, are you okay? I say, yeah, I'm fine. And I look at him. I'm like, you know this is your fault, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he's like, yeah. He's like, after I said it, I was like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have asked you that before we went flying. I was like, yeah. In the future, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. wait until it's after, yeah. after the flight. Yeah. So, uh, but I landed on the side of the runway and what had happened was one of the cylinders had popped, it exploded, you know? Yeah. So I didn't have a full engine failure, but I lost power and I auto-rotated to the next side of the runway. No harm done, right? right. right. <clears throat> so as the guy used to say, I reverted to storytelling mode, right? So now I'm there saying there I was, 20 yeah. minutes ago yeah. and every pilot that I talked to came up and asked me well why didn't you do this did you have to do that blah 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 and I'm like I just want to be clear there's nothing wrong with that helicopter yep you can go fuck yourself like <laughs> when I when I yeah. when I if there's nothing my my Another event with a guy I flew with this guy named Chris Schleppers he yep. uh uh also Phenomenal guy. For, he, he's one of these guys with like photographic memory, like the opposite of me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Chris was one of my students. He's funny because when I first took him on for the JA students, we were talking about this earlier. How when you have a JA student, the the, the FAA students, FAA flight training, you practice simulated engine failures. Uh, you roll the throttle. Uh, you, you take you're in flight. You take a throttle. You roll it to idle. You do that autoritative descent, you flare, and then at the last second, you bring the engine back in and you wind up hovering. <clears throat> For the British system, they have to see 10 engine off landings before they can solo. And an engine off landing is at that last second, you don't bring the engine on and you just touch it down at idle. So uh, it's, it's um, again, a more delicate maneuver. So I'm a brand new JA flight instructor. Chris Schleppers is one of my students, and one of the first engine off landings I showed to him, that landing was not a secret. <laughs> we slammed into the ground, hopped up, kind of rolled onto the left skid, touched down, and I was like, and that was an engine off landing. <laughs> he was like, 
you know, oh, okay, those are exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So he saw like some of my worst ones, right? So uh, (laughs) for him, we're flying. And again, lesson learned, there was was a, 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 a flight instructor named Guy Fedor who used to, he was a mechanic as well. <clears throat> at our Monday morning CFI meetings or Wednesday, whatever it was, we always had a topic. And Guy one day said, when you guys start up the helicopter and you have to do a freedom of uh, freedom of movement for the flight controls, which is you undo these frictions and just make sure the flight controls are free to move. Yeah. Um, he said, you do the cyclic collective uh, pedals. He goes, does anybody do the throttle? And really nobody did at that time. He said, well, what do you do with a stuck throttle? Everyone's like, I don't know what I'd do with a stock throttle because that's not something that was in the emergency procedures checklist or whatever. So if you have a stock throttle, that means you got fixed fuel flow. So each like in with the collective, if you raise the collective where you now you need more, you're asking more of the engine, the rotor will then droop, right? And that's what causes that what creates lift. If you lower the collective, now you're asking less of the engine, but it's fixed output so yeah. it's going to cause that rotor to increase yeah. and there's operational limits so you can overspeed the rotor and if you overspeed the rotor you got to go talk to todd <laughs> we don't want to talk to todd <laughs> want to talk to todd but this is a real event right so right. like a real event yeah limits limits right. are for normal operations right. so right. so uh but at the time guys like the only thing you can do is shut the engine off and I was like, because if you raise the collective, rotor droops. You lower the collective, the rotor overspeeds. He said, so the only thing you can do is shut the engine off. And I was like, and that stuck with me. So from that point on, I taught all my students, check the throttle. This is why, blah, blah, blah. So now fast forward to we're doing confined area training with Chris. We're in practice area one. And he looks at me and he says, are you restricting the throttle? And I looked at him with my hands folded in my lap. And I said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I can't move the throttle. And I said, okay, well, let me see it. And I take the flight controls and I cannot move the throttle. And he turns and looks at me like as if I was going to hit him. And he's like, I checked it on start. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, he was at the point in his training that he could start the helicopter by himself. Then, you know, the instructor didn't have to be there for that. And it helps guys with their self-confidence, you know, always overlooking them and all that stuff. Yeah. And just as a flight instructor, you fly with a lot of guys through the day so if you don't have to sit through every startup it's, yeah. it's nice you know so you don't get to witness the what they do in the start so he confirms that he did indeed check it but here we are flying around and we have a stuck throttle so um now i'm a little bit into my ja flight career and i'm actually comfortable with doing engine off landings i'm very proficient with them at this point yeah. and so i fly back to the airport and i contact tower and i tell them uh the the helicopters in this airport and we were this is one of the reasons they moved to this hello this airport was it it was a it was a weekend flyer airport like it wasn't a, very busy helicopters are the major operator and you could have six helicopters in the traffic pattern at any given time six helicopters wow. in one traffic pattern is it's, that's dense yeah. and we did not operate from the runway so we were parallel to the runway yeah but anyway i'm flying in and i know i want the runway <laughs> there's a fixed wing guy in the traffic pattern and he um he i told tower i said look um I didn't want to draw attention to myself because I was like, I just didn't think I wanted to do that. So I intentionally did not declare an emergency. Okay. So, and 
the thing that flashed through my head at the time is I got a friend named Steve Copeland, and Steve was uh, he's he was one Love of the, Steve by the way. You know Steve, yeah, oh, exactly. Know you know Steve. Steve, yeah, you know Steve. Yeah. So small, small industry, small right? world. So Steve was a student. I did a commercial stage check with him. Like I, I, he wasn't my student, but he, he like I was an instructor while he was a student. Yeah. I did one like mid evaluation kind of thing on him. And one of the things that impressed me about Steve was he was no nonsense. Like he, what I really liked was I gave him a task and he didn't hum and haw and well, uh, do you want me to, uh, or I've never done this. He just got on with it. Right. And, yeah. uh, that is a trait that I always really, I respected in Steve. And anyway, Steve, was taken off in the same type of helicopter in Orlando and he had a tail rotor failure, a tail rotor drive shaft failure on, on takeoff. So he had to auto rotate and he auto rotated into the back of a loading dock. And the funny story, funny part about this, I mean, incredibly impressive to do this, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and he's flaring and as he was flaring through this dock he looked over and made eye contact with a worker that was on the dock and he just like nodded at him and then looked forward touched down and you know skids three feet gets out of the helicopter and asks him for a cigarette <laughs> but because oh of where God. he was i i don't remember he made a made a call or whatever it was but he wound up on the news right okay. and so uh, I was like, I don't want to wind up on the news. So I'm just going to not draw any attention to myself. And I'm just going to communicate to Tower uh, what's going on. I said, look, I'm flying in. I got a stuck throttle. I said, I am going to try and land with the engine running, but I don't know how to do that. I said, so, but I'm going to make an approach. Uh, and uh, But I need the airplane out of the traffic pattern. I said, because if I... When I land, I'm going to be stuck on the runway. So I said, I'm going to try and do a landing with the engine on. I don't know how that's going to work. I said, and then if I can't do that, I'm going to shut the engine off and I'll be stuck on the runway. Roger. Uh, <clears throat> airplane takes off. I do a high-speed traffic, high-speed traffic pattern, and I was like, we were doing confined areas, so I have cruise power applied. Okay. So I can't slow down. If I slow down. I'm going to have this ridiculous climb in altitude, and then I'm going to try and uh, get to the backside of the power curve. It's not something we need to talk about. While right. I'm climbing, like it's a, it, it's a difficult thing to fathom. So I couldn't figure out how to do it, but I do know how to do engine off landing. So we do the second traffic pattern, and I tell Chris, when we cross the threshold, I want you to um, uh, pull the mixture, pull the f fuel valve, um, and then shut off the electrics. So what I didn't tell him was I wanted, I, sh I should have told him, and again, a lesson learned after the, the after action stuff. Um, I didn't, have, I never told him to, to brace. Like, so I, I should oh. have told him to do that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what, though? I mean, you would think, like, well, I, I mean, never for hurts, me. Never hurts No, to you're, you're yeah, right. Yeah, it, it's yeah. that assumed. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, exactly. So, yeah. 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 So, anyways, and, and just, actually, I'll, I'll throw one more thing is because you and I fly front and back. You're in the yeah. front of the aircraft. How many, there are times you and I talk about this quite a bit of if I give a head nod from the back of the aircraft, you don't see you that. See There's yeah. no communication there. So, exactly. you yeah. have to say it. Yeah, you have to go. Exactly. Yeah. Well. So, yeah. So, um, anyway, so like, I added that, like, brace. So, um, we. Uh, auto rotate we touch down non-event I put the uh, electrical power back on and uh, get on the radio and tower says to me taxi to parking and I said I don't think you understand what I 
thought you understood. <laughs> so <laughs> lesson learned there is declare an emergency because I am in a U.S. airport with an English speaker. I'm a single language speaker myself, so yeah. we both speak English as our first language. I thought I was communicating clearly with him as yeah. to what was going on, and clearly I didn't because he, he was uh, he told me to taxi to parking, right? So didn't understand the situation, so lesson learned declare an emergency yeah you know and this comes down to the same thing like when we've discussed this in the back like communication is a funny thing like got, the whole point is like if peter kelly and i used to say this like if i tell you that clicking once means yes and clicking two means no and we both understand that that's effective communication right chances are not everybody's going to understand that so when you come down to standard phraseology or whatever like the the, the first thing is to communicate to express your thoughts or whatever it is uh because i remember uh, i can't remember the guy's name but he kept tripping over taglines attached and taglines away no. and i remember all the he would say taglines attached taglines not attached or whatever yeah and i remember talking to him afterwards i was like first i understand what you're saying so don't get so don't beat yourself up about it like because yeah. he was like making it a thing i said we're still communicating i said so don't get yourself like big picture we're yeah. communicating yeah. don't stress about it too much but when you get a chance you pull your head out of your ass and fucking say the right <laughs> words <laughs> but uh uh he uh but it's it's you know again lessons learned like declare an emergency you can't you cannot misunderstand that right, you know? right. so uh but uh uh when i touch down at that same thing just a couple scratches on the middle of the runway nothing else done uh fortunately and this is another one todd came out when i landed from that one i was thinking the same thing what did i fuck up because like <laughs> i gotta go talk to todd <laughs> yeah yeah like you just have this self-doubt of like yeah. what did i do to cause this and yeah. when i got out i looked under the helicopter and the throttle linkage was just hanging attached to a cable so i was like yep that's broken that wasn't me <laughs> like wow. at least this was legitimate you know yeah. like so same thing, I'm surrounded by my peers and every single one of them starts with, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? So the point of what I say with this is, at the end of everything, doesn't matter whether you've done the right thing or the wrong thing, you're gonna be asked questions. And I would yeah. rather be able to answer why I landed prematurely or whatever it right. was than why I took a helicopter and turned it to a pile of parts. Because this industry is crazy with the Monday morning quarterbacking. Oh, and yeah. People giving opinions on stuff, which again, even if they're best intention, they think they know what's going on. It's like, that's so easy to misinterpret stuff. Right. Uh, so uh, but I realized early on that it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to have to answer questions about it. But when you're sitting in front of a team of lawyers and you're being deposed, like, you, again, checklists and all this sort of stuff, like, I, I, in that particular instance, following the checklist was not the right thing to do. So, right, right. And so, yeah. you know, sometimes you do it's, have to do what is the, again, like, correct yeah. isn't right or whatever yeah. it is, you know. And again, could have been in a parallel universe that I didn't do the right thing and the guy did wind up uh you know hitting the lottery or whatever whatever it was yeah so, it's yeah. a it's a weird weird scenario and situation and this is why I wanted to ask about it because of that and you know there are so many things that we do is you know I, I want to call it standards but at mm -hmm. the same time you have to be flexible so a very wise man <laughs> Bob Watson said 
plans are important or planning is important but plans are meaningless yep. and so you you plan and you prepare and then be ready to adjust yep. that's like and this is the thing i think that i took away from everything is it's just in some instances a little bit of experience so like where i was talking about the mayday calls right yeah. like when you practice a mayday call like when i had the actual engine failure the one i had to declare it came out twice with very little effort because I because prior in my career I learned you practice mayday calls yeah. and most people the first time they say it isn't smooth you know right. it's the first time you get on a radio <laughs> <laughs> first time I get hoisting <laughs> first time you get hoisting you've heard people say it a thousand yeah, yeah, yeah. times but it's not smooth the no. first time you practice right. it it is like what is what is yeah. going on you know <laughs> oh we're gonna get into that story okay. in a minute, but yeah, yeah. yeah so you practice things, you know, and this is one of the things like, again, maybe circling back, like when we talked about getting the star to the SAR program started at era, like the lessons learned and the, the, the opportunities for improvement that presented themselves were like, you have to train, you have to practice yes, and you yes. don't know what you don't know. And you think about, you know, we early on at era they and this is going to seem like dirty laundry but it's not it's just the experiences you have you know mm -hmm. so so um the there was a somebody pointed out that we didn't have a crm course at era right and yeah. so crm means a great many things to a great many people right yeah. so somebody did a survey he was an alaska pilot i forget his name uh but he he sent out a survey and and basically the survey went through like human factors type stuff okay. and asked you know like uh is a is a pilot likely to you know do have great muscle memory from what they trained are they gonna freeze up are they gonna do this like there was some some human factor type stuff and uh you know some psycho that's sort of the psycho battle side of that side yeah. of CRM, right? Anyway, but it was just basically to get everyone's general knowledge. Like at the time, the 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 the, the questionnaire or whatever went out to everybody in the company. It went to single pilot guys, went to the crewed aircraft, it went to management. And okay. so everybody fills it out. And at the time, all the single pilot guys were like, CRM, like uh, what does CRM have to do with me? Right. right. And so this was really the purpose of the uh, questionnaire was, do you understand what CRM is and what, uh, like, do, you know, what, what, what do you think CRM is, right? Because we didn't have a program. So again, it's, it's, it goes out to all these people and it, and they were sent out in groups, single pilot, crewed aircraft and management. And when the surveys came back, uh, there were really right or wrong answers on this, even though it was sort of, you know, there's, it's, it's some of it could be seem opinion based, but yeah. there are still like surveys and, and things that are done. Like there were right and wrong answers to it. And they said in these three groups, who do you think did the best on the CRM um, questionnaire? You would assume the crude. Yeah, and the crude uh, did. And they said, who do you think did the worst? You would assume the single pilots that... But it wasn't. It was management. Management. <laughs> management did not really address the human factor. Right. right. So that's a glaring oversight because... And again, <clears throat> some people are clued into this, but like the aircraft is not the asset. The people operating it are the asset. You know, they're the weak link in it as well. Like they're the ones that... that have all of the frailties like mechanic mechanical things with the exception of ec 120s and 
throttle linkages on uh, one uh, uh, Schweitzers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have a lot of mechanical failures. Most right, of the right. failures and stuff do come down to pilot human decisions, error. human error, yeah. right? We had a really great guy at error in the training department at one time who basically sent out a newsletter and said, hey, we've looked at all of errors incidents, accidents, and occurrences. And it turns out that, you know, people are to blame 80% of the time. And they, it like sounds controversial, which he kind of meant it to be, but he's like, but that should come as no surprise. Like that is the industry average. And so when somebody makes a mistake, again, like somebody misinterprets a, a rotor tack failure for an engine failure, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. Like it's there's a lot of things to process, and he wasn't trying to do that. Like no guy that goes out, like <laughs> no guy that goes out and has an accident plans to do it that day. Right. 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 So that's the thing when it comes to the human factors and training and the things yeah. you learn is a little bit of experience is really what makes the difference. You know, <clears throat> when we because then you can see things coming, you know, like, and that's the whole idea of like planning is important, but plans are meaningless. It's right. like you plan for this and oh yeah, we've seen this before. We know what happens, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. management is usually the weak link in that. And right. that's again, no disrespect to managers. No. It's just, they don't know what they don't know. Right. And they're in a position where they, they they need to know. And there, there's a lot of assumed knowledge with what we do, like yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. and a lot of it is misconceptions. So there's now the other side of that. I'll throw this out too, and this is this is kind of industry standard, and not not just our industry, but other areas as well, where you know you have people that have moved up through the ranks, like our guy uh, Glenn. Glenn. Yeah. So Glenn moves up through the ranks, and now. You know, he goes from lineman to now pilot and then to management. And there are things you forget as you move up. So when you get into those management positions, you're you're seeing a bigger picture or a different picture. Yeah. And you forget like, oh, yeah, you, that's what they're doing on the line. You Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you forget and sometimes you've just never done it. You true, know? very true. I don't want to take that away either. There was but. a manager um, that I knew, I forget what his name is, but I always I took an issue with him because I roomed with him in Lake Charles. He was a lawyer by trade. forget what his name was, but there's a rule when you're, in, when you're sharing space. Like if there's something in the refrigerator that's not yours, you don't eat don't it. Don't eat it. <laughs> I had half an onion, half a tomato that I cut in half, I put them together, I made myself a tamunion, and I was planning, <laughs> <laughs> I was planning on eating that tamunion the next day, and this guy comes in and ate my damn tamunion. So anyway, that aside, with the conversations I had with this guy, he, one of the things he said was like, pilots don't make great managers. And he said, the reason is they don't get management training, right? And okay. that's a very valid point. So when you take a look at a guy like Glenn, he, his strength comes from his depth of experience at the company because yep. he worked from a lineman to doing fuel. Like he ran bags or whatever he did, and then he did fuel. Then he became a pilot, and he started, I think, as a 76 co-pilot, then flew koalas because I knew he flew koalas, and he had a very strong work ethic. Um, the Then he you know moved on and on up into whatever management position he is. So he has a depth of knowledge, and yes. I, a lot of... So that that's a strength, and I think he probably is a good manager. Like I've always gotten along well with Glenn, um, but some managers that don't like some of the best managers don't have helicopter experience. Agreed. However, they 
they defer to the experience of their pilots and trust yeah. them as the I hate these type of terms, but as the subject matter experts, right? right, right. And then you trust what the, those people have to say. It's very difficult to trust helicopter pilots. <laughs> 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 but like at some point you have to, like if those yeah. are the people that are operating your helicopter, yeah. like you got to trust that. It's yeah. weird. Like we, we, the companies go through audits. They bring in outsiders, which is fine. You need a third party opinion on stuff. But sometimes they come in and tell you exactly what your guys are telling you and you don't listen to your guys. It's right. weird, you know? No, we ran into that all the time with the SAR unit. It was like they're they're selling stuff that they actually they were they were really underselling us because we could do more than they were actually offering. We're like, yeah. And and I remember a case that came up and they were like they're they're messaging out, hey we've got a rescue swimmer and the Coast Guard says, yeah, so do we. Yeah. But what the Coast Guard did not have was yep. a full-on FPC paramedic sitting in the back that could do yep. full-on triage with advanced medication, advanced life support. And, and you know, it was like... Yeah, uh, you, know. you don't know the capabilities. And exactly. So, and that's, that, that is one problem. And then, and then parallel to that, you've got thinking that the helicopter can go do anything. Like I remember on audits, true. Very guys true. would be like, oh, so you're all weather capable. You're a crane in the sky. Well, yeah, exactly. not yeah, really. Yeah, like, yeah. And there's misconceptions or yeah, whatever it is. Of course. So, but the big thing is experience with it. And the more experience you have with that particular thing, the more you can sell it and, 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 and all, all that, all yeah. that comes with it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I guess we can... No, it's good stuff. Yeah. Like, I appreciate you, like, sharing all that because yeah. there's a lot of people that don't, hopefully will never have to go through that. But in the possible chance they do, it's like, yeah. yeah. So now I'm going to fast forward. Yeah. All right. So now we're in the SAR program together. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've been going for a little while now, I know, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hope that's okay. <laughs> oh, dude, I have this no is problem great. with it. So yeah, 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 me yeah, neither. Yeah. Me neither. I, uh, I want to say I feel bad for the listeners, but I don't. No. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, no, so now we get together in the SAR unit, and you know, there's there's a lot of things that I remember with you specifically. Or let me first, let me ask you this first. Now that you're in there, do you remember your first case? I don't know that I remember my first case, but I must. Re I remember an early case because it was with Pat Barber. Okay. I just remember him saying something that I thought was really odd. It was a night case, right? And it was raining or whatever. It wasn't like a. It wasn't a great night, but it wasn't <clears throat> like a horrible night or anything either, yeah. right? And I just remember it, it was a hoist case, and we had gone to a rig or whatever it was. We couldn't land there or whatever it was, so we're, we're hoisting. And I remember uh, Pat Barber went down, and he – because I was – I don't know. Was he, was he a paramedic as well? He uh, – EMT. EMT, okay. Yep. So he went down and he, because I'm used to him as a hoist operator. Yep. And he came back up and one of the things he had said was while he was down, he goes, uh, he, he it said like he left the helicopter, did what he did, turned around and looked up and the helicopter was right where he left it. He was like, and that felt good. And I was like, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Is that, isn't that what's supposed to happen? <laughs> <laughs> and I just, for whatever reason, he goes, no, yeah, but it was just, it was really like, you're just 
like steady right where you were. So it was like, okay, I thought that's what we were supposed to do, you know? Uh, but uh, yeah, that was that for whatever reason early on, I was, that's just, that's one, that's uh, something I, some case I remember. So yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like that yeah, one. Yeah. Well, then we, uh, let's see. So then you and I had two particular and one of them, uh, you were sitting left seat and, and I know you talked, you and I talked about this offline, but you don't remember this or <coughs> no, you very this limited. Is, this is a feature I have is, <laughs> I no, don't, yeah, very little I, recollection. Yeah, like if you tell me something, and this is just people, right? Yeah. So I'll remember details of nonsense and then other things that should, like somebody would think, oh, do you remember when this thing happened yeah. to you? Like, I have no recollection of that. <laughs> I just called, you know, I caught, I caught Nicole in one of those too. I'm like, but you have to understand, like you see, like yeah, people yeah. forget things. <laughs> yeah. I remember in general the case because it was, we were going to a jack-up rig and I remember yep. we had the hover basically between the legs i mean we're just at leg level right and the deck itself was fouled like they just had a bunch of they they were <clears throat> stripping that they were like yeah. deconstructing the rig and there was somebody that was on there that was uh, injured or yeah. whatever it was had heart problems um but we had to hoist them off and yeah. it, it was very interesting for me for that in particular case because i was a hoist operator I had uh, all, th all three crew members in the back were prior U.S. Coast Guard rescue swimmers. Okay, who else was on board? So we had Pat Estrada. Okay. And then we had Dustin Scara. P.E. Yeah, P.E. <laughs> Dustin Scara. Okay. And then myself. Yeah. Dustin was a paramedic. Yeah. P.E. was a swimmer. I was a hoist operator. And then we had you in the front left and Joey in the front right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the cool part for me coming up to that was it was a very benign hoist and yet, at the same time, it was kind of difficult yeah. because of the elements We're right around in the it. Of the obstructions, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You like everything. You have to balance yep. like your height and it was your flyaway path. Hoist. It was nighttime hoist, exactly. Yeah. You guys were under goggles. <clears throat> okay. All right. We roll up, and it was. Uh, it, matter of fact, this is the first time I had. Oh. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. So we had done a rehearsal yep. or a practice run, yep. you know, whatever you guys call it out there. It's it's your opportunity to, to go check it out and then it's either, a dry run. Yes. Is what you do. Yeah. Yes. Just to make sure what you're planning is what you're gonna is gonna work out. The yeah. greatest part about it is that we went into the dry run, the rehearsal, got into position, and all of us decided at that point in time, are we good to go from here? Because we had like a 25 yeah. knot headwind, so everything was blowing behind yeah. us anyway. And uh, and it was confirmed, like, yep, let's yeah. make, let's go. And from there, it was it was a beautiful hoist right into the middle of everything, confined it's, area. It, yeah, it's funny sometimes how you, with experience, like you're just yep. used to doing the same thing. So I think what we had done, because at that we had done some dry runs, not done some dry runs. And yeah. so at this point, we were just kind of getting to the point where we really wanted guys to do a dry run. Every and time. Then we, de we decided that with this dry run, if you're in position... You don't need to go back to the rest and do the running again. You're ready there. Everything's yeah. good. Start go live now. Right. You know, and that little change might seem obvious to somebody else from the outside, but it's one of those things where you didn't do it before, and now that you yeah. did, that subtle change in dynamic sometimes it freaks people out. Right. Like people right. cannot deal with that change. Yeah. Um, that's a problem with what we do because yeah. it is you're always going to have some 
thing that you have to deal with. And yeah. uh, and again, like for me, what, the the area I always came from is I want to I want to have as easy a day as possible. So if I can find an easier way to do something, yeah. and it makes sense to do it, like well, to, to heck with what we used to do. Like yeah. if there's a reason for it, great. Like you have to respect why you do things. The 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 more you understand the why, the easier it is to comply with stuff. But right. sometimes, every once in a while, you do something, you have to ask, well, why, why do we do that? Yeah. Does it not make more sense to do it another way? It's this constant state of improvement. Yeah. Some people have a very difficult time with change. Yeah. I, for, fortunately, am not. I think it's yeah. one of the, one of if I am going to pat myself on the back, it's one of my strong <laughs> attributes is I am flexible and very objective, and I can make decisions very quickly, uh, which is a little bit, you have to recognize your strengths and uh, your weaknesses and realize, like, remember how I was saying, like, I just always consider myself the average pilot because yep. all I can go on is my experiences. And I really, one of the things I used to teach in a CRM class when I'd stand in front of everybody, I'd say, without a show of hands, you don't, like, don't answer this question out loud, but who's the best pilot in the room, Right. <laughs> everybody knows right it's me right it's a, everyone thinks they're the best pilot in the room right so but the reality is we are all hopefully average pilots yeah because the reality is like there's a lot i mean uh, the, whatever it is like the group of you 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 probably are average if you're not average there's, there's a strong chance you're below average like right, right. that's yeah. you're not always everyone thinks they're a superstar and part of this <laughs> is um a quote I like all the time, and I don't know who said it originally, but Robert the Koopman had, had attributed it to George Bush. But uh, the, the the it's a phrase that says we judge others by their actions, and we judge ourselves by our intentions, right? And when you really process that, it's true. Yeah. And you can make excuses for what you do yep. because you know what you meant to do. But you don't know what anybody else means to do. You can't get in their head, you know. So it's one of these things, again, like when somebody goes and has an accident, everybody thinks the worst of that person because you think they fucked up, blah, blah, yeah. blah, all this stuff. But that guy did not intend to do that. Right. right. But his training and everything he did, everything up to that moment, it made sense for him to do what he's doing. You know, good decision, bad decision, whatever it is. But it's like, it's uh, it's uh, the... Uh, it's one of those things everybody thinks they're better than they are or whatever right. it is you know so yeah. but my like my ability like because i make decisions quickly a lot of other people don't do that and, and the assumption i have of like where i like i there i can see something that i assume everybody else sees and that's not necessarily the case and this is why like you're saying the communication and all that sort of yeah. stuff it plays a that's a critical part in everything is is that you uh you there you can't have these assumptions right uh, no you can't no, you yeah. got to be crystal clear. Uh, I no, that's 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 too far. I, you have to be clear enough where everybody understands. Yeah. And if there is not an understanding between two people, have a conversation. Yeah. And and you have to approach things again. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting and different results. Right? right. So like if your technique doesn't work, then you shift to whatever the other technique is. Exactly. And so yeah. like this evening, that yeah. evening of like, hey, let's let's do a, let's do a rehearsal. Yeah. You guys good from here? Let's just go. Let's just roll with it from here. That that 
that flexibility and the ability. Also, the one of the things I remember about that night too was I didn't have any references. I'm just oh, in no, the left yeah. seat, right. hanging out in the dark. You know. I think and you specifically looked over, and all you could see was one of the legs of the jacket. I could see one up. of the legs yeah. across the, the the panel, but the top yellow portion of it. Yeah. On my side, I had nothing. Yeah. But I also was like perfectly like everything is cool that's not a comfortable place to be in if you do not know exactly what every other person's going to do and that yeah. you're not comfortable with everybody's right. decision you know so that is something i do remember about that night it was like you know it's just another just a, another night hanging yeah, yeah. out in a hover <laughs> in the middle of the pitch black in the gulf of mexico yeah. you know pulling somebody up off the middle of a, a yeah. foul deck like there there was no sense of like like this is like I'm like nervousness or anything yeah. and it has to do again with you guys in the back and confidence in Joey and everybody knowing what's coming next so there's no surprises yeah, yeah and it was uh, the the whole scenario was great for me personally because that was one of my I'm, I'm going to call it one of my harder hoist cases okay. because of the confined area sure, to get sure. into the spot but in all reality like I look back at it as it, it was pretty benign I mean PE went down first he landed right, and as a matter of fact, he, I think he put his foot up on on a crate or a whatever. Captain was there. Morgan did. Yeah, and uh, and <laughs> and landed. He had a good landing, yep. and then we had a tagline coming in or a guideline bringing, mm -hmm. um, you know, Dustin in, and and everything was very controlled. And one of the, again the the dynamics of it going from the rehearsal right into it, because of the winds. It, we're up. We had no worries. Yeah. If we had zero wins, I think it would have been a different scenario, mm -hmm. and and we would have we would have changed it. But again, that being adapted and overcome everything, yeah. it was it was awesome, and yeah. I really enjoyed that case. This so. is from what you're telling in that story too, though. Like for where you're saying it's benign, it was like, but it was a difficult hoist for you. This mm -hmm. is also the difference between what we do in the front and what you do in the back. It's like what's easy for you. Yeah might be incredibly hard for us and what might be hard yeah. for you we're just like blissfully unaware yeah. of that up front <laughs> i hit the hover hold <laughs> <laughs> well it comes down to you know one of the things i had said was uh the again you don't know what you don't know you go through you, you self-assess whatever it is through through your own experiences and i remember um the what i learned the most from in the in in the, that SAR operation was when I rode the hook. Yeah. So, and we just, the practice area we had in Galveston, we went to the bunker yep. and I think it was Inman or again, I can't, it was either Inman or Barber who, who was the hoist operator that day. And I had been flying, I don't know, six, eight months up front, you yep. know, so we've done plenty of, you know, flights and lots of training and, and had been, you know, I know the calls, I know all the words, I know all this sort of stuff, but until... I was on that hook in the back, being pulled from my back seat over to the skid, listening to you or John narrate what's going on. I'm like, oh, okay, this is what he means by, uh, you know, uh, RS is on the skid, you know, his orc is attached, orc is away or whatever, and then uh, yeah. uh, he's halfway out, he's below the skid, you know. All That's these really calls. good. You've listened yeah. to this a lot. <laughs> well, <clears throat> now that I've done it, yeah. I know what it means. But up yeah. until that point, I really didn't. And the other thing, as I said, I didn't know was how thin that cable is. Because <laughs> until you're hanging on the outside of it, like looking yeah. at it like that is about a quarter inch or so. Yeah. yeah. That's, that doesn't look... It's actually, yeah, 316, but whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm yeah. kidding. 
<laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter what yeah. it is. It looks thin. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but again, going through that that the same thing, my yeah. role and your role, we're there experiencing the same event, but we're not having the same experience. Like, no, I'm right. doing, and that's a that, again one of my big big elevated level philosophies is perspective comes down to everything we're there in the exact same scene doing two completely different things so like what again what might be a difficult operation for you may be very easy for the guys up front or vice versa and then of course there's the times that it's very difficult for everybody yeah and when that occurs it's nice for everybody to know that like this is a difficult event so yeah. these are the potential risks and that communication goes it's where it's most essential you know yeah. I, I think when we're talking about how you know experiences the little experiences what we just the training event we did the other day where uh, we had a training exercise where we had we had we're simulating a, a vessel that was on fire yep. and we were going to be extracting a patient from that vessel so in from our cur- another, another from, vessel. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. simulating it's going to be the vessel on fire but the reality yeah. is we're, we're pulling them off of uh, a different vessel yeah and uh, currently we're down we don't have we're not staffed uh, optimally for, right. for this right so they want us to do a um, uh, pull somebody out on a, on a stretcher on a backboard and again because they don't know what they're asking they made the question they asked hey, yeah. this is what we'd like to do and then we just told them we're not uh, capable of doing that at the moment because we're down trained personnel again they, the the guy was fortunate that he had a little bit of experience and he said Yep. He goes, we don't have anybody on our vessel that's ever done this before. And if you're saying you don't have the right personnel, then we're not going to do that. We're going to do something a little bit different, you know. And unfortunately, in a lot of situations, that's not what you get. You wind up with somebody who like in backboard, you know, occurrences to me, the things I always think about are those the various spins. The spins. Yeah. For whatever reason, there's multiple videos of 109s doing backboard operations uh what what from the from an outsider's perspective you've got a very capable helicopter 109 is yeah. a great helicopter yeah. you've got an experienced crew on board clearly because they're flying i mean i don't know the guys involved but you've got a, a pilot that's hovering an appropriate position over uh, the scene you've got a hoist operator who's tending to the line just fine and you've got rescue personnel that are on the ground and flight suits and helmets and they pick the guy up off the, the ground and then the backboard starts spinning yeah and it spins and it continues to spin and spin and spin and what anybody who's done that before knows is it's very easy to correct you simply move forward at 15 to 25 knots and that spin goes away that problem yeah. stops stop hoisting for all you hoist ever you yep. know the, the, yeah. as long as it's not in obstacles okay that's there are scenarios yes, of course yeah yeah, but, yeah so so in these instances the bottom line is a little bit of experience yeah uh, you can solve that and i'm not i'm not dogging on those pilots they 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 did they, they their company asked them to go do something they hadn't done before and they chose hope as their plan yeah or the the they didn't have the proper emergency procedures set up yeah they they didn't have a plan b whatever it was so the 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 and that little bit of inexperience again not in a negative way they just they 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 hadn't run into this before um they didn't know what to do and they didn't have a, a, a playbook to go by so the 
this is again where now planning is important and plans are meaningless but their their planning broke down by we've had it in a lot of instances because this will come up in probably the other event that we we shared together was when you haven't gone and done something but the company expects that you're able to go do it we're gonna get that in one second yeah (laughs) so the 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 ability to adapt comes from experience. Once you've mm-hmm. gone through a something and you've seen it with your own eyes, you can better process what that is. And so again, for me, riding the hook, like I learned so much from that actual ass from 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 being in the back. So uh, anyway, yeah. Well, the greatest part about that is, and you know, you and I have talked about it offline many times over. Is one of the recommendations for any pilot and that is going to do hoist operations to ride the hoist yep. yeah i think it i think it there's if you have more than one pilot in the program yeah <laughs> yeah then there you you're doing a distinct disservice to the whole flight if you don't ride the hook agreed you, know, you just get a you get an, a completely different perspective on what's going yeah. on even if you think you have a, a very clear idea riding the hook just gives you that additional experience yeah. uh, and then uh so and it comes in handy because like when our current operation like we have uh some procedures that some of the uh experienced uh hoist riders don't enjoy because they don't understand uh the differences of the airframes we've flown and all that sort of stuff right, right. but because i've ridden a hook and from a 80 foot hover down to a uh, work vessel offshore at night i've i've done that i've mm-hmm. been on the hook and i've done it several times mm-hmm. I know what I'm asking somebody else to do when I happen to be hovering at 45 feet and doing an insertion or extraction or whatever it is. Yep. I have that firsthand experience. I know what it is. So I understand why somebody might be uncomfortable with it and realize how thin the cable is or whatever it is. But uh, it helps to have that experience because, like I was saying, even though I'm up front, you're in the back, we're, having, we're at the same occurrence. We're not having the same experience if you're not doing, this, doing the same thing. So I think riding a hook, absolutely, if you're a pilot in a, a hoisting program, get on the hook yeah. uh, i'm sure most yeah. i'm sure a lot of guys do but if somebody I, I hope so yeah i hope I, so as well yeah. yeah i haven't worked for a lot of different yeah. hoisting programs too really right. so um I'm, it, it but do do it, yeah. it helps yeah and this is like and, and i talk training uh like training is hard because training costs money mm-hmm. you know and and a lot of companies they they might not have the training budget or uh, it just it's costing more than expected or whatever the case may be. Even even military, you know, like there's training. Budget's there, always a constraint. It always, yeah, always. And, and training seems to be one of the first things that you're like, well, maybe we can cut back on an hour here. Maybe we can cut back on an hour there. But what happens is, and, and I'll throw myself under the bus again. Training. I had to learn how to be a hoist operator. I just so happened was with you when uh, I was my first two or three times ever hoisting. And I remember specifically trying to con the aircraft in and then um, forward right 40, forward right 20. Oh, I missed 30, forward right 30, forward right 20. And you guys were just laughing at me up in the front of the aircraft. And then I started laughing in the back and I'm like, oh yeah, and hold. And and the whole thing was just awful. It was, it was a terrible hoist and it was terrible conning. And, but it was training. And that brought me to where I'm at now, which is, is helped. And, um, you know, you ha- if you're going to ask a guy to do it, you got to train it, which is going to bring me to the next yeah, thing. Yeah, you, ha- you have to train it. And this is, again, where we're saying from the, 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 the 
backboard events and all that sort of stuff yeah. they're 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 setting out with a good intention like they want to Definitely. go conduct a rescue but if you haven't done the operation the management expects that the pilot is going to make the right decision at the right time but management or whoever it is has made the wrong decision by sending an untrained crew out to go do the job and again you can't train for everything but if Correct. you train with a diverse enough ideas to what you're going to go do the a hoist offshore to a again in the middle of the night in the middle of the uh, 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 gulf of mexico if you've not trained for that that is a that is a big ask yes once you have done it it's a benign it's right. a benign hoist right, right again right. It could uh, tight insertion area or, or whatever it's like you're not it's it's not a big ask once you've trained yeah. for it and that's the big difference same event <laughs> if you haven't trained for it that's it's, it's a, that's big, a big ask yeah. yeah yeah and this is what's going to bring me into our <laughs> our way, next case <laughs> the, the way we spent va valentine's day whatever year it was yeah yeah and that's with uh our cruise ship so yeah. Chris Galeen was the other guy on the cruise ship. Oh, we've already talked to Pat Barber. He was there. Okay. We've yeah, already yeah, talked to okay. uh, Eugene Reynolds. Mm -hmm. He was there. Uh, Evan is going to be coming on soon. Oh, is he? he awesome. Is. Oh, he good, is. good, good, good. Yes. So he'll be there. So basically everybody that was on that crew that day yeah. uh, is going to be, you know, their perspective. And this is really fun because we, I'm going to tie everything in together. We have training and we one of the bonuses about us is that we had an opportunity to train quite a bit like we had a lot of hours to train in two this weeks period this was the, a beautiful thing about the commercial program at era was they had customers that part of their contract paid for training and when you had one of the customers was shell and they understood that you had to have a trained crew so it's a difficult thing. It's emergency response. You hope to have, you have a target flight hour of zero, but the less you fly, the less proficient you are in whatever you're doing. And we're asked to do a great many things. Like you could, again, go hoist to a, a vessel uh, dead in the water. You could do be doing open water work. You could be hoisting to uh, 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 the tight area you could be hoisting to a super tanker yeah like the, the at the end of the day there's a lot of similarities but there's a lot of differences so um the you it's and it's a perishable skill so you yeah. have that's big asks some of these things <laughs> so uh you have to train for them shell understood this so and and these other companies so and again and they paid for it so right. this was a thing for our operator it was a very you know symbiotic relationship the customer paid for x number of hours of training so mm -hmm. there's revenue immediately in that contract to the company so they're making money when we're training it's keeping us proficient they get proficient pilots and and uh flight crew and and it's it works very very well again that's when times are great once times get rough then budgets get cut training budgets go down all that sort yep. of stuff in the training it also helps to train for what you're gonna go do <laughs> so this is uh, before we go too far into that i i want to say that uh if like all of our training that we had actually helped us to what we're about to talk about with that cruise ship Mm -hmm. Right. Because we had trained so much together. We knew everybody's kind of idiosyncrasies as we flew, as what we did, how we spoke, what we were expecting the other guy to do, even though 
we had never seen a cruise ship before. But we had a lot of experience with each other. Right. So that helped. helps bolster the, the success rate right. of that. Yeah. For it, uh, but yeah. for our training specifically, we did not get a lot of boat training. Yes, and it's just the thing with the cruise ship that I always have to point out to people is there were actually two ships involved, right? So yes, there's a cruise there ship, <laughs> and then there's the work boat. That's right. And that wasn't a huge work boat. No, and it wasn't. Everything that we picked up, everything that got put onto the Carnival Triumph had to come off of that work boat. That's right. So, yeah. And it was loaded with stuff. There yes. was not a large hoisting area. No, it was tight area. <laughs> A small vessel there there was a there was a again it's a kind of a big ask yeah so one of the things we had problems with again although they were very generous with the flight hour for training they weren't great with additional assets you know and this is again a, a, it's a it's a big ask but if you want that service you have to train for it right so agreed the they didn't ever get us vessels and that was one of the problems that we brought up time and time again is we need to go do vessel training we need to do vessel training you would think being owned by an offshore shipping company that you would have additional like avenues to to get a boat to train with but it wasn't the case we uh, exercise we we did a lot of legwork trying to find suitable training partners and it uh, and we exhausted a lot of avenues and we were not successful and then one day we get a phone call from carnival management <laughs> saying please help us <laughs> uh that phone call was initially declined by the company saying that's not what we do and i was like i i thought that's what we did yeah <laughs> yes they are not a core customer we don't service carnival triumph but they are in need of transport of of uh goods offshore or whatever so via um, a hoist or or the, the more appropriate thing would have been a, a, a belly hook because yeah. of the weight limits on a hook versus a, a hoist. But we didn't have proficient long line guys, right? So, uh, but so we were a, a, a definitely a reasonable asset to send in that direction. Eventually, after a couple more phone calls are made, we get sent out for it. So, yeah. and I was on day two and I was flying with Gene Reynolds, and Gene uh, was an instructor in the program. So, like you said, we've flown together a whole bunch. Uh, it was it was OJT. So, uh, <laughs> and. Again, we've done a couple of different things before, and if we're going to pat ourselves on the back, we did some fast picks. Like oh, yeah. we did not play around with what we were doing. We moved a lot of equipment that day. Like it, we said it a couple of times. I, I don't remember how many um, how many hoists we actually did, but it was well over a hundred. Yeah, and yeah. and you know to put that in perspective for people out there, an average training flight would be about four to five hoists. Give or take. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. On Depending a high on end, you're at 10. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So you're talking hundreds. Yeah. And in, we in we days. were flying. We came from Fushan, I think, yep. to that. Like, yep. So we had an in route, not a lot of time there. Anyway, it was, it was, a, it was a busy event. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, at some point, the Carnival Triumph drifted uh, close to the continental u.s i don't know what the distance was but they had um a, a news helicopter come and start filming us uh and we were told 
at some point that were live on CNN. <laughs> and uh, they captured at that point what era considered its finest, one of its finest moments, yep. you know. Um, and I took that opportunity to remind them that they sent out a crew that was not really qualified to go do ship operations like that. So um, even if I wasn't the pilot flying, I wasn't even the pilot monitoring on vessel events. So it's it was an unqualified crew and we had begged, we had worked so, we'd always asked to go out to get the vessels to train with. And it was we were unsuccessful. So my very first vessel hoists were done live on cnn yep. and at the time well done sir yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it all worked out right it and it's it a cool story it, to tell yeah. and all that stuff yeah. but behind the scenes i went right back to the company and said you just witnessed my tr my my checkout live <laughs> on cnn I said, how did i do did i pass <laughs> you and and they said they're like we were watching it realizing what was happening yeah like they knew yeah oh shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're on cnn there's a lot of t helicopter footages of helicopters crashing so right it is very conceivable that we could have had an accident that yeah. day so again the whole event. Now, now well, hold on. Was, wait, wait. There, I, I am going to put that in perspective because, again, with all of our training up to that point, was, all of our crew, I was, you guys up front, an accident was like, like it's on the table, but there was yeah. no, there was no, there was at no point that I was uncomfortable yeah, doing no. it. Okay, None, okay. right? But <laughs> yeah, big picture, when companies send guys out. Because this is this is what happens is like the guys that get on the spinning backboards and all that sort of stuff. They tell you to just go out and try, and they remove the human factor from this because at no all that you're gonna do at that point is fly to the scene of the crash because you're either successful in it or you're gonna crash trying because yeah. you're not gonna get onto a scene, look at it see the injured people or whatever it is and then say ah i don't think i can do this and then fly away cleanly right. you're gonna go try until you scare yourself and wave off yeah or you crash or you're successful yeah. or you crash yeah but or you have whatever that occurrence is you know and so you can't underestimate training guys and this is the right. same thing back to the guys with the spinning backboard i just want to say i'm not like when i say it's it's an easy problem to fix anybody that f does this has done it knows it is a very easy thing to fix and it's very frustrating to see that the guy is trying his hardest and he doesn't know how to fix it like right. that's right. not he is in an that pilot is so stressed at that moment it's like that is not what he set out to do i'll throw the hoist operator in there hoist too. operator too he, he's, just... he's like uh man we have a spin yeah you know and and you and i've heard it together where you've heard guys say captain i have a spin what do you want me to do yes so now you have a guy in the back asking the guy in the front what do you well you're the one hoisted what yeah. what, do you, what do you want me to yeah, yeah. what there so, should anyway. be so with our uh hoisting to the carnival triumph it was nothing but fun. I had a blast yeah, that day because of the crew that we had on board, right? <laughs> awesome. um, but again, I tried to leverage it to say, look, like, uh, uh, again, a cruise ship is one thing. Yeah. 
the work boat's another, and now we you are potentially asking guys to go do this to small vessels dead in the water at night. You can't ask a guy to try that. Like right. that's that's you have to train them, set them up for, it. and even then, well-trained, well-qualified crews still have occurrences and accidents, yeah. and big because a, a momentary bad decision or bad luck or mechanical failure or whatever it is, and mm -hmm. the the training of it is that's it, it's it's one of those things. Again, it's it doesn't and it doesn't have to be technical training this is one of the things this and i'll come out and say this i didn't have a lot of wheeled experience bef before i joined the sar program again mm -hmm. I'm, I'm 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 flying single engine skidded helicopters and i got a token transition into the 139 before i really ever got to fly it so one of the things i remember joey heaslett and i he was also it, more experienced than me um, with uh, hoisting operations and all that stuff, but he was doing it in a, a, a Huey. So again, not a wheeled helicopter. I remember one day just going up to Galliano and just ground taxi. Like that was training <laughs> that we were doing, right? And it sounds nuts. And I remember the company was like not happy to hear about that, but it was what we needed to get proficient in our job. It sounds really silly, but like we needed that basics of like how it wasn't just ground taxiing. Like we were trying to do tight turns where you uh, put the park, put the, the toe brake on the inside wheel pedal turn with the other one. And then you can kind of pivot inside. Yeah. So if you had to do like a, a really tight ground turn or something like that, we're just getting familiar, you know, getting more proficient in wheeled helicopters. And yeah. again, that's not, and something... that's coming from skid helicopters to now wheeled helicopters. There yeah. is a difference in how you fly them. Absolutely. So, and one, and it doesn't, I've always been a building block guy when it comes yeah. to training. Like you have to, you have to know the basics of things, right? Like when I ever get transitioned to a new helicopter, the first thing I want to do, and the first thing I instruct guys to do when I'm training them, they haven't flown the helicopter, is you got 15 minutes of just picking it up and setting it down. Just finding out where the landing gear is, skill, wheels or skids yeah. or whatever. Just pick it up, set it down. Pick it up, set it down. Pick it up, do a, a crosswind, set it down. Pick it up, turn, tailwind, set it down. Hover just a little bit. Figure out where the heights are. Like It's incredibly basic stuff yeah. that if you don't get, you'll fight the rest of your time flying it because you have to shoot an approach to a hover height and they don't know what that skid height is or whatever it is. So again the training that we had it has to be appropriate to what you do yeah and it has to be needed and you have to have the this is one of the things like again despite your opinion of me as a pilot I think <laughs> <laughs> all right you know what i'm bringing you back down to mediocre is that yeah, does that help you <laughs> i don't think i'm a good pilot i don't think i'm a good like i don't think i'm a good stick pilot i think i have a very very strong situational awareness and that helps me from making really bad decisions <laughs> i can see when i made a small bad decision and what's going to come next yeah, right yeah, yeah. oh but that's, that's not going to work out well that's the thing i've always felt about pilots is it's the personality aspect of it that yeah. makes a good pilot i mean again there's a basic level of proficiency that you should be able to maintain but um you don't have to be that great to be a good pilot uh, if you have have a good situational awareness you know and this is again things like peter and gene uh the great pilots but also very cerebral guys you know um it's uh 
that's I think the personality and what I got out of SAR was the crew aspect of it yeah. is that um, I've said this before and again not stroking uh, your ego rescue swimmers are some of the best people I've known so thanks and that yeah and I mean that <laughs> sincerely like I think again like we had this conversation nobody knows what is said of you when you're yeah. not around or whatever but like a good friend of mine uh john back in florida is just my best friend like he's he's a uh, uh, not helicopter guy right his son magnus uh is uh he was looking for something to do and he was talking considering the coast guard and he's got a swimmer's build he actually does swim competitively and i was like rescue swimmers are the best people i know i said i don't know <laughs> what they were before they became rescue swimmers but what the what they come out on the end whether it's coast guard or pj or navy or whatever it's like every rescue swimmer i've known has been a really really good guy i can't think of a single rescue swimmer that i don't think incredibly high of you know so uh, but with that maybe i've been very fortunate with the guys i've come across hey, hey, probably <laughs> um but it's also like the the aspect of like i also there i i don't like everybody <laughs> anybody that knows me knows that so like you, you, it's it's not for the people who don't like i'm not bullshitting that like your rescue swimmers i don't think highly of a lot of people but i do think highly yeah. of almost every rescue swimmer i know i can't think of anybody that i don't you know yeah. um but that crew aspect i think is one of the things that not everybody gets about search and rescue and so from a pilot perspective because we've had this conversation about what makes a good pilot or again uh, yeah. To, to fit in search and rescue, you don't have to be Chuck Yeager. You just yeah. have to know that you're part of a crew right. and you're human, so you're fallible, and you can make good decisions and bad decisions. And if you make a good decision, great. And we can discuss why you made that good decision. It could have, maybe you could have made a better decision. You know, you didn't see something the way it was. Um, or if you made a bad decision, you own up to it. And then you move on. You Owning know? up to it is a big one. Uh, a buddy of mine I hang out with from time to time, this guy Joe Rogan, he uh, <laughs> he says uh, he's not married to a lot of stuff. Like I say that phrase all the time. Like yeah. I'm not married to things. But one of the things you have to not be married to is your mistakes, right? Like I beat myself up. Like if I take a test, I'm, I'm a very fast test taker too, right? It frustrates oh. people because I don't believe in torturing myself. Like if I know a question, I know it. If I don't, I'm not going to beat myself <laughs> up about it, you know? And I'll check to make sure I passed. Like if, yeah. I, if I know I got this one, this one, this one, I'm like, ah, okay. But what I remember are the questions I got wrong, not the questions I got right. So, and that's, you know, you can beat yourself up over that. But at the end of the day, when it comes to this stuff in aviation, I always realized I'm not hanging my report card on my mom's refrigerator anymore. No, like, right? yeah. you need yeah. to know this stuff. Some yeah. stuff you don't need to know, but, 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 no, but, and, but you yeah. need to know it. And, yeah. and you also have to admit when you make a mistake and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes all day long doing things. So that, personality trait i think is what makes a good pilot because i don't again being being pretty uh, objective <laughs> i'm not the best like <laughs> stick and rudder guy you know but uh anyway uh that's what i think when i when i was part of the sar program that was one of the things and you know this whether any person in that group affects the whole uh as far as how everybody gets on because right. again like you the the i remember my training with john inman and i had a 
great time. Yeah. But I do recall switching hoist operators one time, uh, and we did not have a great communication, and it, I was like ready to quit because yeah. of not really not that that lack of communication where we just didn't we were not on the same page with stuff you know right. so uh i think uh it's that that the personality to me is what makes the the, the a good pilot not a uh uh not the stick and rudder type stuff <laughs> uh, but yeah. uh yeah anyway that's uh the i don't know why i was talking about rescue swimmers being the best guys i know but nah, it's just yeah. it's that whole crm and and yeah. everything about you know just yeah. having that good crew yeah because it, like i'm with you you can't have like I guess for for you as a, a decent pilot, I'm gonna call you a yeah. decent pilot now. Yeah, you can. There are things you can make up for for guys in the back who are, yeah. who are having a, a complicated time, a difficult time learning. Uh, you know, guys that are in training. You know, yeah. and myself included. So when I went through training, you were making up for my deficiencies. I am at the spot where I feel like I'm a good enough hoist operator where if I have a, a poor pilot up front or a struggling pilot up front, that I can make up for his. Difficult, yeah. What he's exactly. what he's lacking on, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So if he's drifting this, he's drifting that. I can make corrections on my yeah. end quicker, and I can anticipate what's going to happen. And that's that is that is a big key component to all this. So and I think yeah. circling back, the training you have with your experiences gives yeah. you the ability to anticipate right. what's coming next. Yeah. I have to say, when we talk about guys in training, I remember with Bobby hanging out the side of a helicopter in the Gulf of Mexico, we were training to go do, uh, it, as it happened, the program was expanding, and we had uh, new pilots joining the program, and then new <laughs> hoist operators and all that stuff. Oh, and this one this day, in the, in the back, uh, the, the the hoist operator is, is an experienced guy uh, but hadn't hoisted in a while or whatever right. and he never hoisted in a 139 and so uh, the and also I, I'm, I'm going to throw this at, he was he was Coast Guard and yeah. it's and when you say experienced like 20 years yeah. hoisting yep the same way it's standard Coast Guard style because yep. Coast Guard really does just kind of one way of hoisting and yeah forward and right Okay. Yeah. So forward and right. Yeah. Forward and right. Forward so and, right. Uh, and the hoist operator in a Blackhawk uh, sits right on the or, or uh, has a knee. Yeah, yeah. 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 But he's not standing on the skid no. the way you do in the one thirty nine. Right. And so his experience was not. He was not comfortable standing on on the skid. Yeah. And I just remember again the difference in experience. In experience from the standpoint of Bobby Watson is just sitting on the outside of the helicopter like, come on, <laughs> come on out. And I look back and he is like on the sponsor like just kind of coaxing him out. Like, come on, it's cool out here. Like, it's, 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 it's fine. You know, you tethered, all that stuff, right? So when you talk about a good uh, pilot making up for somebody and whatever the other guy's doing, there's – a balance with it, right? Like right. a guy isn't going to learn if you're constantly making up for his deficiencies. So he, this was, was one of his first times again in a while hoisting, and it was a left seat hoist, and which means that it's not forward and right. It's fo at best it's forward, but generally it's going to be forward and left. So um, it his calls kept 
being forward and right, forward and right. But I knew where the cable, where I knew where the insertion point was. I didn't have my eyes on it through the whole evolution, of course, but I knew where it was and I knew where to position the helicopter to get his hook where it needed to be, yeah. despite what his con was. Yeah. So, but that was appropriate for that time because he was just getting into the pattern of things. Yeah. And then I remember looking back at Bobby and just like you said, when somebody nods their head, like they have to see it, I just sort of shrugged my shoulders a little bit not in my head and he was like gave me a wink and a nod <laughs> and I was like okay so as soon as he said forward and right I went forward and right and he lost sight of the insertion point yeah. the rig everything yeah and he uh helmet fire yeah he had a helmet <laughs> fire so um afterwards Bobby said exactly that to him he said look you know you have to mean what you say and you can tell that we're not going forward and right to spite your cons he's like so this guy is making up for your yeah. you know your slack there so you know when you when he did what you told him to do you had a helmet fire yeah like and you did that <laughs> now again you can make the argument that what he yeah. said before got the correct uh result but the reality is when i got to doing what he said no. uh it wasn't what he wanted and that's a funny thing because again very experienced guy uh just was so used to saying the, the same, same thing, thing and did not change that plan right you know? so right. uh that's uh one of the things again flying with you I have always appreciated your ability to adapt, uh, assess a situation, call yeah. wave offs and stuff like yeah. when it when it's appropriate. Um, and I've always liked your demeanor because one of the things I always like to push at an after action debrief is really how calm, cool and collected the hoist operator is. Yeah. Because all you have to go off of is your voice. Right. And right. I've had enough oh fucks coming from the back <laughs> with Hate moments <laughs> of silence. Yeah. That you're like, we're gonna need more than that. Yeah, yeah. Can you <laughs> yeah. elaborate, please? Yeah, elaborate. <laughs> um, <laughs> where sometimes it's nothing yeah. and then other times it's something. Yeah. But you don't know because now you're playing mad libs of like what what there's no standard phraseology yeah. for oh fuck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah. it's it's oh fuck. I just dropped my phone out of my pocket and it hit the ground and exploded. Yeah. Now we have the, oh my gosh, and now we have the reason of for it. And, yep. and that's, and the, yeah, yeah. That's all I need. That's yeah. all I need. If you're going to say that, just follow, it, up. Then follow it up. Follow it up. Follow it up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> two things that drive me up a wall. Yeah. Gosh. But I've had guys, yeah. you know, one of the things, and again, people don't know, I can't remember the, the kid's name, but he, we had a, a, a difficult call out and uh, he, we had some difficulties on on it. It was a tight insertion point. It was a moving vessel, um, and he uh, and it was dark and it was dark and stormy night, all that sort of stuff. And uh, there was a he he never broke his uh, tone of voice. Yeah, which he was effective in communicating everything that was going right, wrong, and indifferent. But afterwards, I told him I was like, that is a phenomenal asset to this job because you are not easily exacerbated. Like he, he, and, and again, he didn't even really know that he was doing that. And I was like, please be aware that that's, you're doing a great job and it's appreciated up front because again, he didn't know 
what the other hoist operators did on a daily basis because he mm -hmm. was the he, he he was the hoist operator all yeah. the time he wasn't a, a rescue swimmer or, right or whatever yeah no i uh, i totally agree and then that goes the same like the other way too like if yeah. you, you know you if i hear your voices elevate in the front well now i'm this the hairs go in the back of my neck up and i'm like hey what's up that's and another I, one yeah. with experience yeah. where a lot of people when you you may not realize that the first thing that goes is the speech yeah like when i had that th stuck throttle and i told chris to to shut the mixture in the fuel valve his retelling of the story was that chris glean was uncharacteristically quiet <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that non yeah. non-verbal cue yeah. is tells you a lot like when when again if somebody says oh fuck and then shuts up they may be yeah, completely yeah, yeah. saturated yeah or not right. but generally if you like when you stop talking that's the clue and even with the new pilots that i fly with them like when we're doing the forward and right 30 forward and right 20 like yeah. i said it's not important that you respond to every single one but just respond to them periodically yeah, yeah. so that they know that they you hear them yeah. And that you are in some way tr doing, complying with what they're telling you to do. I said, because even though, like, because as soon as you stop talking, they may not pick up on the fact that you're saturated or maybe, you again, yeah. you're new to it or whatever. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting uh, thing where the more you fly with people, specifically, yeah. that in that environment, there's so, the, the communication gets so much uh, deeper. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, yeah. So and yeah. I, and I've done it too. Like you just you yeah, know, you lock up and you're like, oh, you know. And the greatest part for for you guys up front is, especially for me, if if I lock up, it's like, uh, hey, what's going on? Yeah, my bad. Uh, this is what's up. Sorry. And and now I I start into my explaining what's going on. And it could be as simple as my eyes are in the cabin and I'm I'm buckling these guys up or but hey, what's up? You know, the bump that you don't hear. Yeah, I exactly. think of Tim Adams. I wasn't on board. But he had a day, he was flying with a crew, and they were both heads down, um, playing with, doing a little instruction on the avionics. And Tim, through his training, was always taught to speak up. Like, if you see two guys heads down up front, speak up. Yeah, who's and flying? It's exactly what it said. Hey, guys, who's flying a helicopter? Yeah. And I wasn't there for it, and I'm not going to say who all was flying, but... This was the this is a difference in personality is one guy was like, Oh, yep, sorry, I got it. I'm flying. And the other guy was like, if you keep that up, I'm gonna close the curtain. Like yeah. that's not the response you want. And that guy was a very experienced, very competent pilot, but his demeanor didn't work well in that group environment. Right. You know? And that's one of the things again, like getting to SAR and getting with you guys, like I I that I couldn't think of anything better than going and doing that, you know, like that you get yeah. to go hang out again, yeah, fifty feet over the water and then drop down and get you know have guys jump out of the back of the helicopter. Like, how cool is that? Like, or yeah. I could go take another twelve people and put them on uh, yeah, yeah, a yeah, platform yeah. offshore, you know. Well, this uh, uh, you know what I, I didn't mention this earlier, but this is one of the very unique things about you specifically and why. I hold you in a high regard is because you did all this civilian side. The majority of us have had some sort of military type or uh, police force or um, firefighting yeah. type 
government background yeah. where we have a training budget, where we have the the specialty training. You start from ground zero and you build up. You came into the program and and are awesome. Like, and I, I think it's a testament to the to to the. To, to, well, you know, even through audits and all that sort of stuff, and I even think about when we did that uh, Carnival Triumph case, yeah. like it's a testament to the guys in the back. You guys brought the professionalism to the team because very few people at our company at the time had any experience with it. Right. So your organization in P1 was great. They yeah. brought, they were the professionals in the organization and then everybody kind of rose to that level. And because it was an active program, this is a problem we have with, with uh, other programs is that was an active program. Like yeah. we were busy doing call outs. Again, so. th th there are a lot of hoist operations. I wouldn't call it, it wasn't SAR, I mean, SAR capable, no, was, but we're going to known locations. Nobody's yeah. on fire. All that. I mean, again, we had some it other was a, things, but normally just a hoist medevac, and we did a hoist about 30 to 40% of the time. Yeah, quite often. So yeah. well, let's go 30%. Let's put it on the lower end, but still 30% of your calls being a hoist. And then we have a robust training program, and we yep. had uh, good guys like uh, Gene and uh, Peter uh, that set made it easy to learn with guys and even like yeah. Peter in particular when he and I worked together one of the really big things why we work so well together and again Peter Kelly is the smartest guy in any room he walks into he hides it very well <laughs> <laughs> but and I mean that in the best possible way like he but he he is also humble we yeah. were able to spitball ideas off of each other. And if one of us had a good idea, we acknowledged it. If one of us had a bad idea, we're like, oh, yep, that was shit. Let's move on. Yeah. You know, And that helped uh, helped us. Again, two civilian guys that, uh, again, I consider Peter one of the greatest assets in aviation that I know. Yeah. Um, Me too. But it's a uh, uh, civilian and military. It doesn't make a difference from what I've seen. It's personality because we've had some military guys that were incredibly squared away, but you did not enjoy sharing a cockpit with. And yes, they were proficient, but that wasn't the safest helicopter right. because you had conflicts, yeah. personality conflicts. Uh, so, but yeah, the, the, that's an interesting thing, the civilian versus military side of the house. Right. And there's always this misunderstanding too of what everybody th has their preconceptions of what the other guy does. Yeah. You know? uh, and so from a military or civilian standpoint, it's uh, there's really good pilots on both sides and there's really ship pilots on both sides. And coming from a particular background doesn't make you the greatest uh, fit for that job either. It may just be something that you've done for a very long time. But right. uh, yeah, I, th I think, and I'm sure, like you said, the names that you've talked about uh, for uh, the pilots, like like Noah Cowan and uh, Peter Kelly, civilian trained guys, and they're some of the, the strongest pilots uh, I know. And yeah. even from the from the backenders, yeah. uh, John Ships is... Oh, was, yeah. John uh, Ships is an amazing hoist operator. Yeah. Phenomenal. Because he's a great... Yeah. He's a it's a really good guy. Yeah. It's, it didn't matter that he didn't have that experience, yeah. but because we had a, 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 a high tempo operation, yeah. you're able to train people within oh, yeah. that. If you don't have that, you're not, 
without the tempo of the operation and what we have for a training program, yeah. you're not going to have good guys. Right. Uh, right. You're going to be very lucky to have good guys yeah. because the the program isn't what sets people up for that sort of success. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I'm 100% civilian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it, dude. Yeah. yeah. Chris, we've been on for a long time, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm pumped you came on. So I'm glad. Always glad to be here. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I'm gonna let you go, and uh, and if we can get sit down maybe again, dude, I, I'd be all about I'll it. I'll see you tomorrow. Awesome. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.